Thank you, man, for your time. You're doing a lot of things. Oh, I appreciate you having me on, and I'm trying to do my best to, to do the best I can with all the stuff that God has blessed me with. So <laughs> I'm trying my best. Yeah, and before we get into everything, uh, I want to talk about your book, uh, Beating Black and Blue, being a, being a black cop in America under siege. I mean, if there's not a better time than now to write that book and discuss it, uh, when would there be? What inspired you to write that book? And knowing you're going to get kicked back from it, you know, that that's some courage right there. Yeah, I'd say, you know, when I was a police officer, maybe in my third year as a police officer, I, I had this vision in my mind that I wanted to write two books. And one of the books that I wanted to write was uh, Being Black and Blue. And I just had this concept of because I had gotten beat up growing up in the inner city growing up you know uh where being a police officer wasn't something that that was believed on in my community you know so when i became a cop i was kind of getting beat up for it like hey man you working for the white man you you're a traitor to your race and so i was getting beat up in that direction and then also when i was a cop people just had this some people not all had this negative perception of just police officers in general wearing a uniform so i felt like man i was getting beat up for being black wearing a uniform and wearing a uniform as a police officer in general and so i thought of this concept to write the book that i'm getting beat beaten black and blue and i wanted to just express um what it was like being a police officer what it was like being a black police officer what is like uh i guess the the true and false of how police patrol and, and the officer involved shootings. And I wanted to just get a groundwork of explaining that to the public so people can have a better perspective of law enforcement. And, and give us some examples, uh, not all of it, because we want everybody to get the book. Uh, you, you know, some examples of maybe some misconceptions because you put it on the TV and you watch all this trash and that's not reality. A thousand percent. I mean, it's unfortunate that it can't be reality because this, these things are very simple. There are police interactions that are that are uh, unjustified, right? Excessive force, illegally uh, shooting and killing people. Walter Scott was one of them in South Carolina where he got into an altercation with the police officer. He goes to run. The police officer shoots him in the back. And then when he thinks nobody's watching, he go and plant the taser on him and try to stage uh, a use of force situation. That's completely unacceptable. And then uh, Laquan McDonald was one that I mentioned in my book where, they, where one cop shot the guy 12 times. He died before he hit the ground. He was the only cop to pull the trigger. He was wrong. But then there's other situations that are nowhere near the same caliber as Laquan McDonald, Walter Scott, and that situation of Rashard Brooks, situation of Breonna Taylor. I mean, some of these other situations have nothing to do with racism, have nothing to do with police misconduct. What, what it comes down to is that the misinterpretation of what police officers can and cannot do, what they actually did at the scene, and then the fact that people may not like uh, watching a video or seeing something uh, where a person is shot to death by law enforcement. So I, I kind of draw the contrast between these are illegal shootings and here is why these are justified uses of force which result in somebody's death unfortunately but this is why it's justified according to the law and that's why i thought your book was so good because you, you explain in depth those situations and how they really went down basically not the two-minute clip that you see and boom 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 and then you know what i can't stand is whenever you put on the news and a shooting happens 
oh, you know, the police did this, the police did that. Well, how about that African-American officer that went and saved 10 white people? Or how about that white officer that went and saved, you know, 20 African-American people? You never see that. You only see the negative. Because it's not juicy enough, right? It's not going to sell. People love chaos. People love fear. I mean, maybe maybe subconsciously, but they are attracted to it. So what the news media does is they paint the picture that makes you most outraged, that makes you most upset or make you most fearful. And if they can say, hey, there's this, given the history of our country, they can ride on that and say, hey, there's this epidemic or yeah, epidemic of white police officers murdering black people for no reason. And you look at it and you say, you know how crazy that sounds? But then that entices people to watch these news networks and then they can sell you advertisement. But that's not the true story. That's not what's really going on. And and they love to get a snapshot of a, of a picture of an incident and they have the whole script, mind you. They just cut it down like this to show it to you to get people outraged. And it's not helpful because there are s- scenarios where we could learn from it on both sides. We could say, okay, Police need more training in this area so that we can prevent these things from happening. Also, the public, this is how you behave yourself when you get pulled over by a police officer. If you disagree with what the cop is doing, fighting him is not the right solution. Um, It's not going to end well. So if the media really cared about presenting truth, we could find common ground uh, on both sides and we could become better as a nation. And I hate to say this, but it's almost like they're creating racism for political interest. A thousand percent. You couldn't be more right. You know, I don't believe that in America today, we deal with a tremendous amount of racism. There's still people out here, obviously, that are racist, sexist. They, I mean, people have their own proclivities. But generally speaking, our country is not a racist nation. You go around the world and then you come back and tell me that America is racist. I, I, I have never experienced true racism. In two situations, I had a person call me the N-word, but I don't know if they were racist or they were calling me the N-word because they were upset. They wanted to provoke me to to get into a confrontation with them. And both of those happened while I was a police officer. But, you know, but the thing is, is that a politician says, well, how do I get an advantage over this politician? If I can just frame it because I want the black community or I want the Latino community or I want the whatever the LGBTQ community, because I guess they don't care about the white community. But if I want the black community, I need to make black people feel like I'm a better candidate than that person. Now, I can't run on policy because my policies are not that good. But I can't say that man is a racist and he hates your people. So you need to vote for me. And they will do that at all costs. They will create scenarios. They will lie about scenarios, just like Jesse Smollett. They would come up with these fake hate crimes and push a narrative in order to act like they have solutions for you. And I think it's it's very destructive to America. And and it's so bad when when people are coming together. You know, we're all coming together. We all work together. And then you do that. And then you get looked at differently either way. Now, when you came out with the book, especially... How did the, you know, there's new letters every day, uh, like the LGBTQ, I don't know how many letters they got now. <laughs> you know, it's just the truth. You know, how did all of that, how hard did they come after you and how did you handle it so positively? Well, you know, I, I get backlash and that's going to be to the end of time. There's always going to be somebody that don't like something that I say, maybe because they're projecting, meaning that they got hit. 
they know that it's true and they don't want to accept it. So they get upset with me. Uh, some people may not understand yet what I'm talking about. I was that person at one point. And so I always get backlash and it's not a great amount, but there's probably 20% of people or less that just don't like what I have to say. So when I released the book, Beating Black and Blue, of course, people from all aspects of life, you know, you got the, the pro-black folks that's like, oh, you're Uncle Tom Coon sellout. You writing a book about police. And then you have the people who are in the LGBTQ community because I talk about God and conservatism and kind of what how I was raised. And I talk about fathers being in the home. And I because I, I still believe that there's two genders and, and everybody else can make up whatever they want. But biologically speaking, there's two genders and fathers are incredibly important in the home. And, and people, of course, they have negative things to say. But at the end of the day, I can go to sleep knowing that I told the truth. I can go to sleep knowing that the things that I say are backed by research and facts. And therefore, when people get upset, I know that it's just a matter of time. If they are really interested in the truth, that they'll come along. And, and another thing, when I was growing up and younger, if I got pulled over, whether black, purple, orange or blue, if it wasn't anything crazy, they would take you home to your parents. You know, go home. They're not going to go and try to give you five or 10 years or 30 in jail and ruin your life. Nowadays, it's the officer doesn't know what to do. Do I arrest them? Do I protect myself? Do I do this? And I think maybe it goes back to the parenting because that's is that where it begins or, or is it within the force? Like not the officer, but the department or the uppers. Where did it all go crazy? Well, I'll say it starts with the parents, um, and, but I think there's there's blame on both sides to a certain degree. It starts with the parents. You know, parents are not raising their children to respect authority. You know, in these households where there's no father, they see no authority. And then therefore they have conflict with everybody that bucks against um, their ideology of that they can just do whatever they want to do. So especially when a police officer says, put your hands behind your back or get out of the car, they don't listen to their mama. They don't listen to their daddy either, or they don't have a dad. So what, what make you think you're going to listen to a, a stranger that's giving them commands that they don't want to obey? And so, you know, that concept of raising your children the right way, raising your children to respect authority and, and educating them on the exposure and experience that they may have encountering police officers and, and teach them how to make a positive interaction out of that situation. Also in law enforcement, you know, in, in a lot of it, I blame the city and the city council because they cut funding from law enforcement. They want to have you study out his woke stuff, but they're not providing police officers the opportunity to community police, which means that certain police officers should stay in a community for a period of time so they can build relationships. And then therefore, you know, grandma will feel comfortable telling the police officer, Hey man, this guy's on the corner selling drugs, or this is the guy over here that committed that murder word on the street is this, but when you don't have community policing, which draws the community you know, in more of a trusting relationship with cops and cops, more of a trusting relationship with people in the community, you, you start to see a breakdown in communication, a breakdown in trust, and then people become skeptical. And then you add the media and you add politicians on top of it. Now people are really distancing themselves from law enforcement and you, and you're never going to accomplish anything that way. I almost fell off the chair. I almost fell off my couch when, when they said defunding the police. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, all these people want to defund them. Yeah, well, when, you're, when your house is broken into, who are you going to call? What should happen is when they call the police up, you didn't, you didn't find us, hang up. I, I mean, that is the most insane thing in the planet. And then they base it on what? Ten scenarios a year that didn't go well, that they broadcast everywhere? Well, what about the other ten million that you're defunding them? You're paying them shit. Let's just be honest. You're paying them shit to go risk their life every day, and you're going to defund them? But you're going to spend $2 trillion on God knows what. 
you as as a former police officer, when you heard the, the, the word defund the police, I mean, what went through your head? Uh, Armageddon. That's, <laughs> that's what, what went I through said. my head. I said, well, we were we, because let me let me just explain this. When you defund the police, there's a there's defunding and a f- fiscal spending cycle. Right. So today you say I'm going to defund the police, but it's a fiscal year finance. So it may not occur for another year or another, you know, uh, depending on when they begin to fund police throughout, throughout the, the quarters. So it may not happen for another year. But when you say that the morale on the police department goes to zero. People don't want to be doing that when they know the city is not supporting them. And then if you could, if you do anything related, race related, you could be fired, prosecuted, lose everything you have. So then the morale starts to tank. And when the morale starts to tank, proactive policing start to tank, community policing start to tank. And therefore officers are out there saying, you know what? You guys don't care nothing about us. I'm leaving my family at home while I'm out here risking my life for this city and y'all don't even care. So you know what? I'm not going to catch that guy on the corner that I know is terrorizing the community, selling dope to everybody, creating zombies in the community. I'm going to let him just sell drugs right there. I also know that person probably has information for me to solve other crimes, but Hey, I don't want to get into a foot chase with him and it goes south. And then I get fired and y'all, and this guy is is terrorizing the community. So I'm not going to engage. I'm only going to answer calls for service. And then therefore the people who are prowling out in the middle of the night, 12 o'clock ready to ambush people and, and, and and break into your house and steal your car and steal your Cadillac converter. We're never going to catch those people because cops are standing off. That's not good for the community. That's not good for law enforcement. And, 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 to defund the police also when they actually defund when they actually re- re- withdraw money or reallocate funds somewhere else then how are you going to pay these officers adequate salaries they want the top tier people but they want to pay them down here good people that want to make a livable wage are not going to risk their life to do it so your candidates are going to drop you're not going to have quality police officers then they can't pay for training so police officers get in the field and they don't know how to deal with half of these situations because they don't they may they may be in a, a department where they don't they're not exposed to it often. So they but they don't have adequate training. So they freeze. They make mistakes. They do things wrong. They're inaccurate. They're not investigating properly. And then everything just crumbles. So defunding the police was one of the worst statements and ideas that I've ever heard related to police in the community. And then you end up hiring just every Tom, Dick and Harry just to fill the uniform that, that like you said, have no training and. We had a few people when uh, a friend of ours, Ben, he, he was trying to go to the ma- major leagues. He didn't make it. He wanted to be a cop. And when he, like you said, when he just heard the word to fund, that was his, his dream was to be MLB or a cop. And when he heard the fund, he's like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford anything with the economy bad and everything else. It was his dream. So he still went through it. But that's another thing with officer, people that want to be officers. And then uh, my engineer and I are from Philly. And when I lived there, North Philly was bad, but not terrible. The last time I went to North Philly, man. Temple cop just got shot and killed uh, last week. Man, my friend, a couple of my friends are cops in uh, North Philly. And they're African-American. You know, we hang out. We go to Jim's uh, Steaks. And I go, what happened in North Philly? He goes, I'm not going in there. He goes, I'm not going in there. No way. You know, you know, no funding. Like you said, he goes, I got two kids. His exact words were, I got two kids at home. And they're not paying me, and they cut my pension down less than what it is. And I'm not going in there. But I, but I also I also think that they should add more to the budget. And people think, well, they're going to buy guns and tanks and all this type of stuff. No, no, no. 
when I grew up, they had, you know, events where the cops would come to at the school and pizza yeah. party and block party Snow and all this comes. type of stuff. So that's budget. That's money. Take that money, invest it in the community, have the police officers out there in the community interacting with the youth at a young age because now they look and they go, oh, he's not a bad guy. That cop's not bad. And now you switch that whole mentality at a young age that cops aren't bad people. They're here to protect us. Now, there's a bad cop here and there, of course. There's a bad, uh, you know, uh, mechanic. There's a bad everything. But if they invest in the community policing, like he was saying, I think it'll solve the issues that we have. I agree a thousand percent. I mean, you need more police officers out there so you can adequately do community policing. Because when I was a cop, we were so short staffed that we wanted to. We just couldn't because there's calls for service all day long. I mean, when I would come into work at the midnight shift and it was 21 to 07, which is like nine o'clock at night to seven in the morning, it was 30 calls holding on our on our list. 30 calls. That means 30 different people have called 911 and they haven't gotten a police officer there. And some people have been waiting 10 hours, five hours, three hours, six hours. And, and and we can't community police. We can't go talk to the public. We can't even be proactive. We have to start knocking those calls off. And then somebody gets shot. Somebody gets killed in a vehicle accident. And now those people are now waiting for 12 hours. So you can't have an adequate police force if you don't have funding, you don't have enough police officers, because the day shift can spend a lot of times at the school, school resource officers, uh, just spending time in public, the D.A.R.E. program. I mean, all of these different things. Police officers can do during the day and at the night shift, you have an adequate amount of police officers to handle calls for service and it builds their relationship. So 100% that comes down to allocation of funds. And, and then what happens, Brandon, when when you have 39 911 calls, you're trying to do the best you can and you don't come. The 10 that you couldn't get to, they go, ah, oh, the police don't do anything. They couldn't do nothing for me because they don't realize that you're short staffed. You don't have enough people. And then you have more of a stigma on top of what was already there. And it's just a trickle effect, and it's just a disgrace. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Breaking news, Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shave your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using code MSCS Media for 20% off and free shipping. No one likes a weird beard, so say goodbye to all the stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This thing is a monster of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. No more messing around in drawers, this color one, that color one, all with one guard. Plus, it's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower and avoid all that hair in the sink. The Pro Kit doesn't end there, though. First, there's the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember your hair is different. Next, Manscaped's beard oil. Tap it off with beard balm. The Pro Kit also comes with three different gifts, a beard brush, comb and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress so get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code mscs media at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off and free shipping at manscaped.com use the code mscs media manscaped beard hedger one stroke one guard 20 lengths link is in the description below
This episode is sponsored by Z-Biotics. What is Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic? Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is a genetically engineered probiotic you drink before drinking alcohol to avoid that rough next morning and get back to living your life. PhD scientists invented it because they know the real problem is not dehydration. It's a toxic byproduct of alcohol. And Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the only product that breaks it down. Just remember to drink responsibly and plenty of rest too. Every time I have Z-Biotics before drinking, I'm amazed at how good I feel the next day. Z-Biotics is a must-have for me because it means I'm still going to make my daily workout even if I have a few drinks the night before. That's important to me. You can get Z-Biotics for 15% off your first order using my code MSCSMEDIA at checkout. I recommend getting the six-pack. That's what I got. It's a great deal. You have a couple extra to share with friends. Go to zbiotics.com backslash MSCS Media. That's Z as in zebra, biotics, B-I-O-T-I-C-S.com backslash MSCS Media. Or scan the QR code on the screen right now and get 15% off your first order. You will not be sorry. Link is in the description below. And I, I'll give you an example. You know, and this is this whole race baiting thing that occurred. Um, it was a black family. They happen to live across the street from a college, from college kids. So, of course, and college kids are partying all night. So they called in for a loud call disturbance like six hours ago. So, I mean, the kids are going all night. We hadn't showed up for six or seven hours. And when I first got on shift, it was the first call for service that I took. When we first got there, he, the guy, the black guy's arguing with my supervisor saying, y'all didn't show up because I'm black, because I'm a black man and y'all don't want to show up to the white people, right? And then the kid across the street that was called on, he happened to be at the party, majority white, one black kid. And he's saying the white people called on the party because I'm black. And so you got the black people mad because we didn't show up. And the one black kid at the party think that there's white people that's calling on him. So I have to be the, 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 the inner city person whisper. I have to go and talk to the guy. And I said, look, sir, let me just give you an example. Come look at these calls for service. I have 40 calls for service. That's a stabbing, a shooting, rape. I mean, these are all calls. This is why we didn't show up to a loud party for six hours because we have all of these major calls that take priority. Then I had to go across the street and tell a young man, do you know that there were black people that called on you? So <laughs> instead of making it a race thing, understand the dynamics of law enforcement and policing and you'll you'll come across with a better perspective. See that see that right there should be on prime time, not the bullshit. What you just said. Right. Right? Yeah. Well. But but you never get it broken down like that. That that was great. And where can we get the book? And we'll put it we'll put it in there uh when the video comes out. Yeah, you can go to Tatumstore.com. If you go to Tatumstore.com, that's where I sell all my merch and also my book is there. I have signed copy and then the non-signed copy. Um uh, people can just go there, search it if you want to go to Tatum store and just search book or being black and blue. You'll find it right there. Awesome. We'll have that in the description and we'll have a pop up when uh, we're done with this. So also you, you what you're, you're from Texas, right? Mm -hmm. Wild, wild west. <laughs> well, kind of the wild, wild west. Cowboys. Now what was it like growing up uh, like that? I mean, you got an uncle that went to the NFL, won a Super Bowl, your dad, an honorable fireman. I mean, you got quite of a, uh, you got quite of a, a thing to live up to. <laughs> well, you know, 
I think I come from a line of of men who do not allow excuses to stop them from being successful. You know, my father um, grew up in the projects. You know, he grew up poor. But my father still made made a decision when he was young. I think it was 18 or 19 when he started the fire department. He said, look, I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to work my butt off, and I'm going to be successful. And I remember him telling me this a long time ago. He said when he first started on the fire department, there was some discrimination. And he had made mention that he said, I hope that the people who are discriminating against me understand that one day they'll be working for me. So they may want to watch how they treat me. My man. And my father had the concept that I'm not, I'm not going to let this hold me back. I'm going to, I'm going to work my way to the top. And he did. He retired from Fort Worth as a battalion chief, 30 something years of service. He became the chief in Waco, Texas. He he retired again after three years or four years working there. Now he's the chief in Keller, Texas, where he's going to work that out until he retired. And my daddy's 57 years old and he's been able to accomplish so much. And my dad never makes an excuse and he never let us make excuses. I remember when come home, the teacher uh, say that I had bad citizenship or whatever the case may be, and I, I was willing, I was willing to complain, Dad. You know, but no, the teacher did. He said, No, 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 no. What did you do? I don't feed and take care of and put a roof over the head of that teacher. Yep. I'm responsible for you. So you tell me what you did in this situation. And it's always I was wrong, you know. But, but yeah. the human nature in me wanted to make an excuse. My father was never that person, and and that's why I became successful, and that's why my father's successful, and and I believe all the people that he has influence over um, become better people because of his mentality. That's what I'm talking that's about. That's it. That we we talk about all the time on this podcast. I think it's like a general theme when we talk about it. It's you know, kids nowadays aren't raised with respect, aren't raised to hey, you know what? I fucked up. I was wrong. Okay, take it like a man and walk the other way and learn from it, grow from it, learn from your mistakes. But it's all about blaming somebody else. It's his fault. Oh, my job sucks. This sucks. Well, you're going to be doing that till the day you die, until you decide that you're going to take, you know, take advantage and work hard and, and make something out of yourself. And I just wish more kids would learn that because we're in a terrible spot if it doesn't change yeah and my, and my grandfather uh he was i didn't get the height but he was huge and if i didn't catch a hundred footballs in the snow with a wife beater on now you probably get arrested for it he would not let me go play video games if i didn't hit a hundred foul shots you know but there was some there was an achievement at the end now now brent now if you just show up for practice you get a trophy uh, you, you know all, all this woke thing and I mean, do they not do they not realize that who's going to be the next Elon Musk? Who's going to be the next something when what is the point? If everybody's going to win, why am I going to sit out and practice? Why am I going to study? Why am I going to do this for 90 million hours when the guy who's working for one hour and trying to study is going to achieve the same thing? And I think it all plays back yeah, into the same, you know, scenario. It plays. It plays back to having a strong father, strong men in society. You know, I think that, you know, people have become soft, like, you know, people are raising soft kids and then they raise soft kids and they raise soft kids. And before you know it, you got men switching roles. You know, they want a, a woman to take care of them. You know, people don't have that that strength and, and courage and, and motivation like my father did. Because and I'll tell you what, I, I'll say this, because people a lot, a lot of times they like to act as if adversity is a bad thing. My father grew up in the projects. They grew up poor. His father wasn't there. They left him when he was a young kid and ended up coming back later in life. 
But that compelled my father to want something out of life, to realize I don't want that for my life. I don't want my children doing that. I have something to look forward to. I have something to go hard on. You know, I, I, I when I'm when I'm working my way up towards the ranks, I'm accomplishing something my family has never done. This is something to look forward to. And I did the same thing. You know, when I went to college, and because my father just graduated high school. But later in his career, because he needed credentials, he had to go back to school to get his bachelor's. He went to get his master's degree. But before that, I had been the first person in my family, immediate family, to go to college and get a, and get an education. And so I made it a point to say, I'm going to be the first to graduate and get my degree. I don't care how football work out. I don't care if I play another down. And my father was a huge component of that because he said, I don't care what they do on the football field. You better get your education. <laughs> and so I graduated, got my degree, walked across the stage. I was very proud of that. And and because I, I had a father and I grew up in an environment where you are incentivized through accomplishments. I knew that if I got my education and I got a degree, I would be ahead in life versus if I did not do that. And all of those ideals should be interjected in the young men for sure in a time like this, not pandering, not making you feel good, not feeling like, oh, it's not fair that you, you know, you have one leg. It's not fair that you have a learning disability. It's not fair. Forget all that stuff. Quit being a coward. Quit teaching these kids to be soft. It don't matter what your situation is. Everybody gets a a hand of cards. How you play your cards is how you succeed in life. Some people got a bad deck, but if you can play your bad deck better than the person with a better deck than you, you win. If you, some people got a good deck and they playing bad cards all day, they squandering their opportunities. So it doesn't matter. God gives everybody a, a deck of cards and you make sure that you play them as best as you can and you'll be the best version of yourself. It's really, it's, to be honest, it's really that simple. Well said. And we had, there was a person we were talking to and, he had some issues, and then we put on uh, what was that guy's name? With uh, he, he he this guy could dunk, do three sixties, and he had he only had one arm. Uh, Did you see him? Oh uh, God, I can't remember his name. I can't remember his name, but he the guy he was six foot six, but his arm stopped here. Oh, I seen him. And this guy him. was born. It was a black kid. Yeah, a tall, skinny black kid, right? Right. Now, if he can do that. You know, imagine how much, you know, he's probably made fun of in school. You can't make it now. But he had the drive. And look what he did. So if he can do it, anybody can do it. And and Brandon. Well, yeah, the kid, the kid in the NFL. Oh, yeah. The guy, it was the guy in the NFL. Him and his brother both uh, played in the NFL. He played linebacker in college. And he had a, he, he had like a a half of an arm. Oh, yeah. he, didn't, he, didn't have, he didn't even have a hand. On the arm. Griffin. And he was disabled. He's still playing in the NFL now, I think. So, Sha- and then there's a Griffin, kid right? that don't have a lower body. I don't know if you guys see him. Yeah, he's Sha- wrestled. Griffin. He races. He lifts weights, and he don't even have a lower body. He's just hips. Oh, he just wow. hips to the top of his head, and he, and he has his arms. You can go look him up, man. He does pull ups. He does workouts. He won bodybuilding contest. I mean, I can't. He he won a wrestling contest, and he don't <laughs> even have legs. So for him. it's like, bro, you have people have no excuse. No, <laughs> it's just if if there's a wheel, then then, then there's a way. Good, bro. One bro. thing, one thing you said, uh, Brandon was, you know, you talk about having the father figure in in your life. You know, you need a father and a mother. And I know people's circumstances sometimes. You know, dad passes away unfortunately, or he's in jail, and you know, you got some tough moms out there, man. Real tough moms raising a family, doing it by themselves. Good thing, but 
I used to always say, I think a boy especially, maybe not a girl, a boy needs a father. Because a mother is there to be a mother. And I'm not saying that mom can't be tough, because I've seen some tough moms out there that will whoop some ass. But you need that dad figure. And I just feel like, and I just want to see your opinion on this. It feels like masculinity is being punished these days. If you're a man, it's bad to be a man. It's looked at in a negative connotation. But feminism is okay. And I have nothing wrong with being a female and, and all the things they have, but it just feels like masculinity is punished these days. I, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I think that most of the things that you guys say, I agree with um, by and large. You know, I, I think that they're trying to find a way to divide us. That's the reason why um, they're coming up with these concepts. They want to pit man against woman. They, they don't want a woman to have a husband and to feel like that's a viable option. They want the woman to be dependent on the government. They want the government to be your daddy. They want the government to be your God. They don't want people to, to, to have strong families because when we have strong families, we produce strong people that then challenge the government mm -hmm. and say, you know what? This ain't right. We're going to take lead. We're going to take charge. Our young men used to do that. When 18-year-old boys going and fighting wars to save this country. And nowadays, man, they so wimpish, it's it's out of control. And I understand that there's women who are who are uh, caught in situations that they cannot control, right? You marry a guy, you think he's going to be a good guy, he gets drunk and leaves the family. That's not your job. I mean, that's not your fault. You do the best that you can. And it's not fair that mama have to be mama and daddy. God made two parents. Because sometimes you got to play the good cop, bad cop. Sometimes you need a little bit of strength and a little bit of love and compassion. You can't have one person that can do all of it. And, and therefore, if a mom is trying to do everything, she's skimping in certain areas. Kids need full-time love, full-time, you know, full-time mom, full-time dad, full-time compassion and all, sweetheart or whatever. And then full-time somebody, you know, telling you, get up, boy. You ain't, you ain't, you're not hurt. You're good. They, people need both of those things. Now, I'll say this. There is an epidemic of the government and feminism pushing women into believing that it is great and that they're powerful if they're a single mom. And, 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 and you know, I saw this woman and I don't know her situation because I don't like to judge people without knowing the full context because I'll feel like an idiot if her husband died. But it's a woman I saw on, on, on Instagram and she's like an Instagram model, very beautiful woman. And she has four kids and she's on a computer typing and saying, huh, they say you can't be an entrepreneur full time and have four kids. And I thought of that and I said, sometimes women have gotten to a point of extreme selfishness because you think you're a boss. You think you're an entrepreneur doing it with four kids. What do your kids feel? How do they feel about daddy? They miss their daddy. Mm -hmm. You, you, but you're doing fine because you don't want him, but the kids want him. You're doing good working all day, 24 hours a day, and the nanny's watching your kids because you're a boss and you're an entrepreneur. But how does your kids feel about you never being at home and them not being able to see you and, and, and you being on Instagram all day? You know, so I, I think that we live in a society, too, where women have been brainwashed into believing that. I'll, I'll give another scenario because I think this is important as well. Feminist Feminism tells women you don't need a man. Feminism tell women you're just as equal as a man. Feminism tell women you should be the CEO of that company. They, they shun women that say, no, I want to take care of my children at home and my husband works. My, my family dynamic is just that. My wife take care of the baby. She makes sure the home is taken care of so I can go out and work, so I can go out and produce. And, and, and my wife is safe. I make sure she's good. My wife don't have to slave over nobody's job. 
And that's the way I believe that it should be structured. Nobody's watching my kid. My wife is watching our child. We don't need to take our kid to school. If the school acting a fool, my wife will homeschool our kids. And, and of course I'm there, but I need to be out working because I don't have, you know, uh, things that happen once a month. Let's be honest. Women go through mood swings. That, that's got to be tra traumatic to have to deal with that every month and still deal with your employer. I don't have to deal with that. I don't get pregnant. My wife get pregnant, but I don't have to stop. You know, I could be there for her to support her, but I can work hard all 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's something that my wife, you know, and I believe that that's not her assignment. That's not what God has called her to do. And we can still be equal and valuable, equal in value, but different in responsibilities. And feminism just, they hurt women 24 hours a day. I see women that's like, yeah, I've made it. I'm a CEO. I own this company. And they single and they're going to die alone with a little puppy. And then what they don't tell them is that once you accomplish all these things, I believe in most women, not all, it's innate that women want to be mothers. And if you get to the point where you put your career over being a mother, I think a lot of women later in life that deal with this, they feel like they have no purpose. They feel like they've squandered their purpose. And now they're, they're dying as a CEO. And, and I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not discrediting women from being a CEO. I believe do what's best for your life, but don't fall in the matrix feeling like you have to be that way. Feeling like you, your only value in society is to compete with a man. I, I, I think that society is very wrong about that. I couldn't agree with you more. And if we go back in time, say, you know, five thousand years ago what happened woman stayed in the cave it sounds funny but stayed in the cave took care of the kids man went and killed the animal and brought it back to eat even penguins do that the mom stays and watches the egg the penguin goes 10 gazillion miles to go get food and comes back it's the way it is and I, when i was growing up if my grandfather you know my dad wasn't really around but my grandfather man if i had a child and i made the child of my mother work and i wasn't good enough to support the family he would have knocked my head off because i believe and he believed and it was just how i was raised man works man provides and protects woman nurtures takes care of the kid and everything else and sure if, if there, there's a woman that wants to be a ceo okay it's just how i was raised is that my job is to work my ass off provide and protect and let mom do what mom do what does like i just had my first kid she's two and a half I never want my fiance to leave the house because she needs her mom, you know, mommy time. You know, I, I mean, I think we would all agree in here. I mean, we're all we were all raised old school. But nowadays, it's if the guy works and the woman stays home, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> and I, I, I can I never wrap the, my head around weird. it. It's weird. And here's the best one for you. This will make you laugh. I had a friend of mine was always complaining about money. And I said, okay, you want to come in and do the board like Rod? He couldn't make it. He said to me, I'm babysitting. I got to cook a crock pot. And I said, you're always complaining about money. You know, why don't you go get a job? I just couldn't believe that. And it sounds bad, I guess, and I'll get shit for it. But I never heard of that the way I was growing up. Right. And, and you know, in, in my opinion, that's a good thing. Because men, like, we're built different. We can work longer hours, you know, like even the hunting and gathering scenario. Like, yeah, you get a 300 pound. I don't know how big bucks are, but <laughs> if you, let's say you get a 300 pound buck. Axel, you think your wife going to drag that thing or are you going to drag it? I you know, it, I it was gonna two happen. women or two men. My wife's going to slap me in the it, face it's, for it's asking not... her to go carry it. I'm going to get punched but if my I wife, ask her to go get the damn thing. 
my wife comes to me and I, I love it when she do this because you know that's my job my wife come to me and say hey baby can you open this jar yeah <laughs> man it's like <laughs> you know i i, I did my pinky finger you know yeah, and she can't like, even get it open like, and, and it's not because <laughs> right right i'm like this is why you married me yeah, i got baby. you baby i got you <laughs> but but that's what i'm supposed to do yeah. i'm biologically a lot stronger than my wife and 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 i am to protect why would she be protecting when I'm already stronger than she is naturally, you know, and, and I have a lot more, and, you know, some women may have this instinct, but I think men have a killer instinct. Like I, I'm willing to die for my family. I, it, it don't even cross my mind. I'll kill somebody over my family. I'll, I'll put my life on the line for it all. I'll put my life on the line for the country. I put my life on the line when I was a cop. It ain't even a second guess, but I'll tell you this. My wife is, is growing me in this idea of how much women are nurturers. Let me just tell you this. When my wife was, when my wife first had the baby, she literally, because we had a nursery room, she slept in a room for nine months. She did not want to not be in the presence of the baby. I'm different. I'm like, I, I'll put him in the bed, let him cry. Me and you both. He'll be, he'll be fine. Man. My wife is like, she can't, he can't cry for two seconds. I just got and, called. And she's, oh, my Brandon, baby. I just called, I just got called, uh, what she call me? barbaric barbaric i said let, let let her cry she's okay she's fine nope the kid cries that's it she she's in the other room all right i'll see you tomorrow that and i'm yeah. me like you said hey diapers change they're fed okay she's crying she'll go back to bed mom's nope me i'm i'm out uh, i'm out i i, I said it, the other night my son was crying and i I just, me and my wife, we kind of bump heads sometimes because oh, I'm like, God. baby, he's okay. He's going to cry. Just give it about five minutes and see what he's going to do. And when she listens to me, he cries a little bit and he go, mm, it's time to go to bed. She go, oh my God, you're traumatizing him. He's going to be traumatized oh forever. God. But uh, see, women and men think very differently. However, imagine this. Most women probably feel, see, we don't feel the same thing because we didn't carry that baby for nine months and all that. Yeah. Women, most women probably feel that way. But corporate America and feminism tells that woman, no, you need to leave that baby and go work on a job. Leave that baby to a babysitter and you go work. You know how horrifying it is? My wife can't be without, we, my son is two, just like your, your baby. My son, we, he just turned two last month. The first time, maybe like six months ago, my wife was able to leave our son with our nanny for tw 20 hours, not 24, 20 hours. You got to think it's been that long and she can't leave him. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm learning that. No, that's the way women really feel. Why would not provide that opportunity for our son to be rocked to sleep every single night, nurtured, loved? every single day without obstruction why wouldn't i provide that for my wife and the problem is that society has pushed women to towards they can't enjoy their pregnancy they can't put their feet up and say okay i got heartburn i need to sit down i, I need to rest i need to relax i don't have to worry about going back to work after i deliver this baby i can i can nurture the baby i can be there i can i can be a mom in this process like god has created me to be and they don't have to be forced to go outside of that. And society is making women just destroying them, man, by forcing them into this feminism. Yep. And, and the best part is now they give uh, men a week off. Some places give men a week or two off after they have a kid. What'd he do? What'd what, what he do that he deserves yeah. two weeks off? 
one, my account is one of his assistant account got two weeks off for having a kid. I said, would he have the kid? He got two weeks off paid. He did. I said, Jesus, my goodness. But I, I mean, it's a, somebody's yeah, got to do you, something. Hey, hey, you're you, talking loud, and I, I agree rub your wife's feet said. when you rub your wife's feet when you get home from work. That's what you do. Or work up early and rub her feet in the morning, and then on the weekend, spend all your time with your wife and don't be, you know, messing around and hanging out with the boys. That's your two weeks off for a uh, maternity leave, <laughs> you, you know, because I don't take time off. Nah. I work hard every day. You know, I work seven days a week. And, be, and because I want to provide a life, a life for my wife and my children, that one day we we can just be on the beach somewhere, and we we don't I don't have to work every single day. But right now I got to get it, I got to grind. My wife understands that I'm w working on a Saturday. I work on a Sunday. You know, we we went to dinner last night. You know, a lot of what we did was work, yeah. talking about who we hire and firing and different things like that. So it, you know, can't be, as a man you can't be afraid to hustle. You can't be afraid to grind. You can't be afraid to sacrifice. Because you're doing it for the better good. And it's funny because men used to do this back in the day. Who you think was picking the cotton? Who you think was farming the animals? And, and this is outside of slavery. Who do you think was doing it? Men. The people who couldn't afford slaves, even back then. Who you think was doing it? The man had to get out there and bust his knuckles. Yeah. And his kids had to come out there. Them boys, they were out there working in the farm with their daddy. It, yeah. was, it wasn't no cakewalk. No. And if they didn't work, they didn't eat. They died. So. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I remember, I, I remember my, uh, my dad was running. You better mow that grass. I mean, it was already geared up for me at five thirty a.m. What? It's Sunday. They've destroyed. They've destroyed the family structure. Is what they've done. They've destroyed it. Or you get arrested for it now. <laughs> you, you know what's funny? A guy made a statement online. I don't know who it is, and I've seen many, many people do it. So I think some profound person said it, and everybody's piggybacking. There's three components of why the feminist movement was created. I forget the third one but I'm going to try to do my best to remember. The first one was that they gave women or thrusted women into the workforce so that they leave the children at home and the government can now indoctrinate your kids because women used to raise their own kids. They used to, you know, they used to have, you know, teach them and, you know, give them schoolwork or whatever. They used to do it on their own at homeschool their own kids. But the government saw that we can brainwash and manipulate these kids Make the woman go work, and therefore she can't take care of the kids. We'll take care of the kids. The second one was if a woman goes out and work, now we can tax two people. Uh -huh. We tax the husband and wife. Now we're doubling our tax because we only were taxing fifty percent of the population because women didn't work. So now we got we, we 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 can double our tax of the population. And the third one, I forget what the third one was, but I'm pretty sure it was somewhere somewhere profound of the real reason reason the feminist movement started, not because it was women liberation. It wasn't had nothing to do with that. I'm not saying that that's 100% true, but the theory is jogging my memory and making me feel like, well, maybe that is true, that they didn't care about women's rights. You know, look at what they're doing with trans transgender stuff now. They don't really wow. care about women's rights. Jeez. The government saw a strategy to push these women into, into that. And I think they did the same thing with the civil rights movement, uh, you know, and we can get into that as well, because I believe black people begin to go down the wrong trajectory after the civil rights movement than before the civil rights movement. What what they're doing with, with the whole government behind it. You believe that? C can we charge them with the RICO Act or racketeering? Wh which one would fit better? Right. I mean, the government is the biggest. I know. The eh? government is the biggest criminal, biggest criminal enterprise. Yeah. And I'm not saying all of government, but I'm saying the government is one of the biggest criminal enterprises in the United States of America and abroad. So, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not 
naive enough to believe that the government isn't complicit in some of the most heinous, destructive things that we see in our society today. I think it's orchestrated by our government. That's why our founding fathers believed in minimal government. Let us do us. Y'all stay out of it for the most part because people become corrupt. That's it. You know, I think another thing uh, kind of on the lines of what we're talking about, the way to fix some of these things is, you know, you know, when you fill paperwork out and it asks you for your ethnicity and it'll say, you know, Hispanic, uh, Caucasian, you know, African-American. Well, my kids are half Hispanic, half white, half Caucasian. What do they fill out? I think they should get rid of that on forms. And I think when you apply for a job, it shouldn't be just to fill us. We need, you know, a, a Chinese person. We need a African-American person. We need a white guy. We need a woman. I think it should be like almost like a blind resume where they don't know. She should say candidate A, candidate B, and they should go through what candidate A can offer and candidate B can offer. And then they can meet with them in person and decide, but not look at it and go, well, that's a woman or that's a man and we need this. And it, it, it's just not the way it should be. A, a thousand percent. I always thought that on the police department when they used to have the program for sergeant, you know, to, to promote the sergeant and people used to complain. They say, oh, man, they're, they're, they're biased against me because I don't because I have a certain reputation or I have a certain name. And I remember when I was there, I suggested that we do a concept with just numbers. You have, you know, application one, one, five, five, six or something. And you just use everybody by number. And therefore, you can you can objectively um look at the resume and say okay this person does this this and this i like them let's bring them in for the next interview and i think you're you're 100 right about applications therefore if your mama named you latasha krisha it doesn't turn people off because they they presume that you're a ghetto person that don't know what's going on or you have an african name that nobody can pronounce and they like oh, i can't even pronounce this person's name I, I, i'm gonna go on to the next or you have a family name that's you know, consistent with wealth and success and honor. And then people may be more biased towards hiring you. No, just put a barcode or serial number on the application because at the end of the day, I don't give a flying flip. I want to know, can you do the job? What's your resume? When, Like I, I've been hiring people lately and that's what I look at. I'm like, now I do judge people based on how they formulate their resume. I'm like, oh, this person's lazy. They misspelling words, and I'm not even looking at that one because that tells me what kind of business you operate. And people that take their time and do their resume really well, I, I look at that. I never look at race. I couldn't care less what you are, you know. And, and but I look at your credentials. Oh, what have you accomplished? That's the first thing I look. at. I don't even look at their name. I say, okay, where, where's, where's the, okay, where's the last job you worked? How long did that person work? You know, what what can you bring to the table? Oh, I like this. I like this. Okay, let's let's give that person a try. And I would argue that's how most businesses are because you want to if I just say I'm going to only hire black people, I'm limiting myself to just a pool of a of a small amount of people that I could probably be eligible. If I open it up to everybody, then yeah. I have a lot more of a pool of successful people to draw from and I can get the best results. So, you know, anyway, I, I agree with you a thousand percent on that. Get rid of that race stuff. That stuff don't even matter because we're not even accurate about race anyway. Because I want to look at my ancestry and we we have white people in my bloodline. So, you know, what does that even mean? My children are biracial, half white, half black, both of my sons. So what do they what do they call them on a resume? What are they? Yeah, they want them to be black in America. But in reality, they're half and half. 
Maybe they maybe they put white on there. You know, I, I just think that we're all mixed up from somewhere. All That's the reason up. why we're different colors, because we mixed. Yeah. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different genealogies. Um, but we all let me say we come from different. We we I think we merged into different stuff. I think we all came from the same humans. And then over time, we in this area, this area, and we begin to evolve, right? In in Africa, Migrated, the yeah. nostrils need to be bigger to cool the brain. Yeah. So we so black people have bigger nostrils. You know, if you live in a cold climate, you don't need as much melanin. And you probably grow longer hair to keep you cold, you know, keep you warm. You need narrow nostrils so you don't have that much cold air going into your brain. I mean, all of those things were human beings started at one spot and we evolved in order to deal with the climate that we live in. We can even see a, a, a slight evolution when you go out in the sun. I know you guys, you live in a, a beautiful sunny state. When you out and outside, you get tanned. It's yeah. your body's response to sun. And so it's like we all actually are the same people. We just so happen to evolve in different areas in the world. We are no different. We yeah. are no different. We bleed the same blood. We all have one heart, two lungs, generally speaking. And, and, and just the it's just the government. It's the, it's these the the people want to divide us. We're not divided. And I think that our differences are beautiful. Our differences are great. I love living in America, and I have never been anywhere else. So I can't say anywhere else, but I love living in America because we're diverse. You know, we just went and had Mediterranean food the other day. Like, I love Chinese food. I like sushi. I like fried chicken. I like ch Mexican food. The burrito place is on fire. You know what I'm saying? They got the <laughs> breakfast burritos they can send to you. You know, I, I like Indian food. I, like, I love that all of our experiences and culture come together in America. That's beautiful. That's not something to, to, to be divisive over. You know, I'm full-blown Italian. And, you know, Italian, we're, we have African-American in us. We really do. If you go to Sicily, they'll tell you that. And, and that's why we don't, like, I never get burned. You, you could put me in a, a, you know, right next to the sun and I wouldn't get burned. And then you go over there and you see guys that have blonde hair and blue eyes. This episode is brought to you by Let's Get Checked. Are you the man your father was? Recent studies have shown that men's testosterone levels have dropped substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. Think about how old your father was when he was born. For example, if he was 30, your testosterone levels could be 30% lower than his. Low testosterone levels can have all type of health effects on men. It can affect your mood, sex drive, memory, muscle mass loss, you name it. And yes, low testosterone is more common the older you get, but it can affect men at any age. So let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in a discreet packaging with next day delivery. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. So, if you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, visit trylgc.com backslash mscsmedia and get 25% off your test using the code mscsmedia. The link is in the description at the top. It, it, it's really amazing. So this race shit is just for the birds. Waste of time. It's a, it's, a, it's a political leverage point. All they, they can't find differences because if we all like, you know, just like it's my like my Christian faith is where I get this from. I'm like, we all come from God. And when I go to church, nobody cares what color a person is. Nobody cares what, 
you know, generally speaking, you know, some people are very judgmental, but most people don't care where you come from. Maybe you don't have nice clothes. Maybe you're homeless. Maybe you a convicted felon. I mean, nobody cares, man. We all trying to go and get a relationship with God. At the end of the day, we all broken to some degree. And and, and I, if people would understand that, you know, outside of this Instagram culture where people are all made up and I mean, we all messed up. Yeah. Everybody got stuff that they'll never tell anybody yeah. that they did. They were involved in everybody, everybody. that go to the grave, man. Like yeah. I did this. I'll never tell anybody. And and everybody is struggling with different hurt and pain and and, and, and insecurities. Some insecurities come out in, in, in excessive spending, right? Somebody, somebody insecure, but they buy a lot of nice clothes. So they, they look good because they're insecure about the way they look or whatever. And I'm not saying that everybody that buy nice clothes is insecure, but I'm saying some people express their insecurity in that way. Some people express their insecurity in being promiscuous, right? I mean, they don't feel comfortable in themselves. Nobody really likes them. But if they have sex with a lot of people, they feel loved. They feel connected to people. They feel wanted. So we all are a broken mess. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I think we all need God, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can get to that point as a nation and, and stop worrying about colors and, and, and you know, the poor white man is the same as the poor black man. Uh, it's, it's some different cultural dynamics, depending on where you live. But, hey, I, w- I used to be a cop in a poor white neighborhood. D- them kids didn't have no daddy either. You know, uh, people shooting each other in the trailer park. Yeah. You know, it's like they just got they just got AKs. It's 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 all the same. <laughs> what were you say? I said in the trailer park they just got uh, shotguns and AKs. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now when you were true, in, true. when you were in college and then you went into the draft and, and it didn't go, how did you handle it? And I think this is great for the youth or anyone. You know, when you didn't get drafted. How did you mentally handle that? You know, your uncle won a Super Bowl with the Raiders and, and all that. How did you handle that and bounce back? And I mean, I could just see you're glowing. I mean, I know it was a while ago, but I mean, yeah. just how did you handle that that yeah. diversity? And then maybe people watching can rewind this whenever something maybe goes wrong and doesn't go the way that they hoped and prayed. You know. Well, you know, I put putting God first was the biggest thing for me. You know, I got saved in college. You know, I, I believed in Jesus, started going to church, got baptized, filled with God's spirit. All of those those things that you hear about in the scripture, that's that happened to me. And that changed my perspective. Now, I was hurt when I didn't get drafted. You got to think, coming out of high school, I was an All-American football player. I was the top player in the nation. He was top top in 78 nation. in the entire nation. nation. I had scholarships everywhere. I could have went anywhere to play football, and I just knew I was going to go to the league. I played with in in high school in our in our all star game. I played with Jonathan Stewart, who played running back. I played with um, I mean, I could go down a list of all these people. Deshaun Jackson, Deshaun Jackson. You know, he st- oh. he may still be playing in, in, in NFL. I played with so many other people. Who, who? we're big football fans of her. We're from Philly, so he said, "Go, go Birds, Bird, I'll yeah, go yeah, Eagles." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I played with Adama Kinsu. I played with Michael Orr, who, who they made the documentary after. All of us, man, we all played in that game. And then we get, you know, everybody goes to college, and everybody start going to NFL. It's like a guaranteed thing; you're going to play in the NFL. But man, college didn't go well for me, and that's kind of how I found God was in college when things weren't going well. But then after that. I used to always pray, God, you know, vindicate me, help me, you know, to overcome these things. And it never worked out. I had an opportunity to play in the NFL, though, because I was such a great athlete. The Oakland Raiders promised me. And ironically, my great uncle, Jack Tatum, the the Oakland Raiders were going to draft me to play on that same team. So um, I I decided, I mean, not I decided, but 
I had been getting bad news the whole time, right? Because I didn't play much in college. I had gotten injured. I was in the doghouse. My coaches hated me. I didn't transfer after I graduated because I just knew I was like, I trust God, man. I'm gonna come out of this. They're gonna they're gonna be forced to play me. I was the I was the most athletic person on the entire team when I played. It just was weird the way they treated me. But um, Oakland Raiders came to my agent, said, "Hey, we're gonna draft Brandon in the sixth or the seventh round on the second day of the draft." I threw a, I had a draft party, everything, man. And they passed on me and I was devastated. And I remember walking outside after it happened, I ripped my shirt off. I was in the front yard, just crying like a baby, man. I had felt like God let me down. I felt like I let my family down. Um, it was just a very hurtful moment because all I knew it was in my life was football. I had never not played football. I never not had aspirations to play in the NFL, but what I will say is that I learned a, a valuable lesson that God is in control. And what I thought I wanted, I really, in the end, I didn't want it, right? <laughs> you know, I thought I wanted to play in the NFL. And I look back and like, man, I don't want to get in concussions and torn ACLs. Why would I do that when now I have more influence than I would if I had played in the NFL? And I'll be honest, financially, I make more money than I would if I, if I played in the NFL, generally speaking. You know, if I was – Tom Brady, I wouldn't, but right. like the, the league minimum, I, I mean, I, I bring in way more than a league minimum. And so God had a plan for me. And what I would tell young people is that when, when, what you believe, if you believe in God and you trust God, if what you pray for don't come to, to fruition, it wasn't because God said no to you. It's because God said, I got something better for you because you can't see down the road. I only saw right then football, football, football. Now I see that, no, God had a purpose for me going to University of Arizona because I needed to know him. I need to be saved. Then God had a purpose for me playing college football and for those things not to happen because he needed me to be a police officer. Because being a police officer changed my life, the way I perceive politics, the way I perceive life, service, the way I love my country. All of those things changed in me when I became a cop. But I needed to be a cop in order to be able to speak on behalf of law enforcement to the world. And, and, you know, so God had this brilliant plan that now I'm starting to see. But if I had just trusted it the whole time, I would have understood back then instead of ripping my shirt off. I would have understood that, you know what, Does, there must be something better for me. You know, even now I look at the position I'm in. I look at how many people I reach. I mean, I literally don't go anywhere without people recognize me. I mean, people that I work with, the cleaning company, the you know, uh, one of the guys was doing something, the, the, a hiring company that we were going to work with, their CEO knows me, the guy at the gym. I mean, I, I can't go anywhere without people recognizing me, but it, it's a blessing because that's all I really wanted um, was I wanted to be able to influence people in the right direction. That's the prayer I prayed to God a long time ago. I thought that was NFL, but God said, you yeah, look, I got something better for you. You're gonna be. You're gonna understand the truth. You're not gonna be lied to and think that the world is against you and that just because you're black you can't make it in life. I gotta get you out of that before I provide you success. Because if you still have that mentality and I give you success, you're gonna fail. Anyway, I could talk. You know, I'm a radio show host and I talk for three hours oh, a day, so not, I'm gonna try to stop. I no, could. I no, could talk no, forever no, about no. it. Be you. Be you. We 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 try to make it, and hopefully one day we can get you in here. We try to make it like just three guys sitting around having a conversation, and and I found, and we've all found that that's how you get the best. You know, not like uh, blah 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 blah. You know, you just everybody just be themselves. You know, and and you're making some great points, great great points. You want to say something? Yeah, uh, you know, playing football. My both my uh, my teenager and my uh, youngest son play football at a young age. 
Um, you know, there's risks that come with the sport, right? Like any sport, you can get hurt, severely hurt. Do you feel that football particularly takes the brunt of a lot of stuff? You know, I know concussions are real, and I, I'm not saying they're not. But, you know, it just feels like football is always attacked. Like, don't play football. It's it's not a good sport. Your kid's going to get hurt, concussions. What do you feel about that? Well, I think it's two-tier, right? I think it's two tiers to it. I think one that is legitimate, that your kids will get hurt. The severity of injury is not as prevalent as they make it seem like. You know, most people don't tear the MCL and never can play again, right? Th then we wouldn't have an NFL. So your kid is going to get hurt at some point. Serious injury is different. Hurt and injury is two different things. You can play while you're hurt. But if you're injured, you have to sit out and things like that. So it's not as prevalent as they make it seem like. However, I will say that there's an attack on masculinity by and people in our country. Football is a man's sport, man. You got to strap it up and, and you are attacking every day you put them pads on and you're going to get hurt. You're going to try to, I mean, not necessarily try to hurt somebody in a malicious way, but bro, you, you when I was playing, you come across the middle, you're going to go to sleep. You know, so that was my job. They may well put a pillow out there. You come across the middle, B, B Tatum going to lay you down. My man. But that's like a manly, a manly sport that just, uh, and, and, and in America, in this feminist society, in this woke society, they don't want your boy to be a warrior. They want him to be a pansy. And so I, I think that there's attacks a in that way that are illegitimate. But I think there's a real concern. And I'm going to be honest with everybody that's watching this. I don't want my son to play football. I want my son to play basketball, I mean, baseball. And the reason why is because the chances of you getting seriously injured in football and the chances of you getting hurt all the time is there, man. When I was playing football, man, my hands were, were damaged, you know, you, especially if you're a wide receiver, man, you get your fingers get all jammed up. You, you got to go out there and lay the wood, man. So you're gonna you're gonna feel it. You're gonna get hurt. You're gonna have contusions. You're gonna do all that. Is it worth it? If that's your passion, yeah, I think it is. But me as a parent, I'm like, bro, you make way more money playing baseball, less injury, guaranteed contracts. So if you're gonna put all your effort into something, I want you to get paid. And my son don't understand that, but I'm that's why daddy's here. I know you can get paid way more money playing baseball. Secure, I know some of my baseball friends. $90 million contracts. I guarantee money. And and, and I go watch the game, and homeboy ain't doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no. He out in the outfield. He may catch the ball twice. <laughs> he go at the bat. He missed three out of four times. And that dude make $90 million a year. You know, so. His biggest problem uh, is that and damn and, and, of course, I'm not. What did you say? I, I said they're getting $120 million contracts from three years, and the biggest problem is not having enough seeds to spit. What uh, are those seeds? Sunflower seeds. Sunflower seeds. <laughs> well, and, and the other thing, the other thing too, Brandon, I, you know, my opinion is, uh, you know, local school districts, right? They got a budget every year. And it seems like me and my buddy just had this conversation. More and more do they keep cutting the budget for sports and the arts, and whatever they're doing with that money, I don't know what they're doing with it. But I, in my personal opinion, I think every kid should have to at least play one team sport. It doesn't have to be football. It could be basketball. It could be baseball. It could be hockey. It could be whatever. But it teaches you how to work with people of different backgrounds, ethnicities, all that type of stuff. Work together for the common goal. And that's another way to change society. 
and they just keep taking money away from sports and taking money away from the arts. Why? <laughs> like... Because they because they want your little boys to be little girls. That's what they want. In my opinion, they want boys to be soft. They want everybody to be equal. They don't they don't believe that men should work harder. They don't believe in team sport and people being challenged. I think male or female, everybody should be in a sport because sport teach you so much about life teach you how to handle adversity, teach you how to work hard, teach you how to be a team player. You know, all of those things. A lot of the people that we, that I hire, they have a sports background. I mean, they're go-getters, man. They know how to perform. They know how to have an objective to go after. And they know how to work well with a team. I mean, that, and I'm not saying people that don't play sports don't have some intangibles because, remember, they used to have the, the Boy Scouts and right. the Girl Scouts. They used to have other programs that teach you those skills. And now they don't want to. I think for sure... Every single school should have physical education. Not only should you be working out at school, you should be doing pull-ups, you should be running, you should be every day. The kids have to dress out. I remember when I was in elementary, we used to have to dress out. And then we used to have to go out there and run. I hated them little shorts because I didn't want to wear them little bitty shorts. But we used to have to go run a lap at least once a day and do pull-ups and push-ups. And then they would teach us about physical fitness and the, and, the, and the benefit of having a healthy lifestyle. Nowadays, kids sit up there eating Takis, sitting on the curb, because they, and a kid fat as I don't know what, eating stuff sitting on the curb because they mom and them don't want them to be running during PE because they because they they'll get winded. That's, that's just not the they way our society pass. works. You know, I had a statistical right? thing here my producer sent to me, and he, he had made mention about, or at least in the article, it talks about how people are going to die from obesity by 2035. It's going to be like 30% people, more people die. We need to stop being pansies, man. Put them kids out there making work. I'll say this, too. You either have to be, because I think they should have like a scout program associated with the school or like a feeder program that if you're not playing sports, you need to be in Boys and Girls Scouts type of a thing. And I believe this, and I don't know what for women because I'm not a woman. Every senior in high school needs to go through a boot camp to graduate high school. You have to go through a boot camp. That means they're going to put you to the test. They're going to challenge you. You're going to have to learn how to handle your fears, adversity. Now, I don't want them to haze you, but you need to go through a boot camp and say, okay, you've gotten a, you've gotten a challenge. Now go off and go to college because now you can understand how to not take things personal, right? When your teacher's yelling at you and people are hard on you, you don't have to take it personal. You know how to navigate that. You already faced it in a little boot camp scenario. You know you can do it. Your fears, you know you can push past it. You know, I think that they should run men through that. And I think that's the better solution than to force everybody to fight in a war. Because I want to say every man should serve in the military at some point. But, you know, to a certain degree, I think that's a little bit extreme because everybody can't go fight and, and somebody got to stay in the homeland and do other stuff and build computers. And But I think people need to have that challenge. If they're not playing sports, they need to be challenged. They need to they need to have some man juice, man. You can't just walk around being soft all day, no. you know. And this whole bully culture, like oh, this bully. When thing. I was growing up, oh, you know, this bully. bullies were like what? I, there was kids that bullied you. And, and after school, what'd you do? You handled it, and then maybe you got beat. Well, yeah, you, I mean, I don't know if this is the wrong thing to say, but if somebody bullied you after you, after school, you handled it, and as long as I came home. My grandpa would say, well, let's go take a look at the other kid. You know, like, you know, who got beat worse? But you handled it. And it, it made me tough. And like you said about the boot camp, like if you're not going to be in a sport, even if you just did it for three months, not only would it give you that structure, it would also teach you respect. Yeah. 
Yes. I think that's what kids miss the most. A lot, not all kids, but kids strive for structure. No matter what anybody says, they actually want structure. And they don't have it. And unfortunately, some don't have it because of family issues. But they want that structure. They want yeah. some guy to yell at them yeah. and tell them what they're doing wrong because they don't get it at home. And they want it, as weird as that sounds. And, you know, it's just it's just sad that it's just sad that these kids and, and it, it, I really do feel bad for the kids because it's not their fault. They didn't ask to be raised in a certain situation. They didn't ask to be brought up that way. And and we're not giving them a chance. And, and what feels better when, 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 you know, you're down and you're a little bit tired. Let's go. Let's go. You get that last win because everybody's looking. Let's go. Let's go. You know? Well, and one other, now I guess that's boring. One other quick thing, Brandon. You know, like you, you talked about, you know, the bullying aspect and and things like that. You know, we we sometimes give in, I think, as a society, and you know, try to cuddle, and you know, you know, I, listen. I take my headphones off here. I was born with big ears, right? So I got picked on as a kid because <laughs> I had big ears. They used to call me Dumbo, flick my ears, all that good stuff. <laughs> But, yeah, it sucked as a little kid, man. I'd go home crying sometimes. And, you know, my mom and my dad would say, who cares what those other kids say? And it's like, well, I'm getting picked on every day, Mom. They're flicking my ears. And then as I got older, I was like, you know what? I'm going to play football. I'm going to start working out. And those same kids that made fun of me didn't make fun of me anymore <laughs> because that was it. But that's what we need to teach our kids. Not, it's okay. Yeah. Oh, let me cuddle you. Let me do this. No. Guess what? You're going to grow up, you're going to get bigger than these kids, and then you're going to be the one to go back to them and say, remember that time you picked on me, motherfucker? Remember that time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not what people do necessarily or what they say. It's how you respond to it. And so I think that if a kid was bullying my son, I would think that that would be a good time for him to learn how to deal with his issues, brother. Because when you get out in the real world, nobody's going to kiss your butt when you're getting bullied at your job. Get you right. got to either learn how to speak up for yourself or you got to learn how to deal with what somebody's saying. People play, made fun of me, man. I had ears. They used to call me Kyrus George, Dumbo, <laughs> all kind of stuff. And I had skinny legs, man. I had skinny. They called me turkey legs, chicken legs. And I hated my legs, man. I, I, I didn't even wear shorts when I was younger because I hated my legs. But my grandma used to always tell me, she said, boy, and my grandma had hairy legs. She didn't even shave her legs. She don't even care. She said, boy, at least you got legs. She said, look at these legs. My legs skinny. And they and they hairy. And I don't care what people think about me. At least you got legs. Now, if you didn't have legs and you were in a wheelchair, would you want them skinny legs or not? And I'd be like, all right, Grandma, you got a point. Because I may not, I may think they're skinny, but at least I got legs, man. I, I wouldn't want to not have legs. And, and also, my skinny legs make me more athletic than the other guys with big legs. I'm, 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 I'm going, I'll get a full scholarship with these skinny legs. And y'all don't. Them fat legs ain't getting you nowhere. So, but, but I felt like my grandma wouldn't, they wouldn't come coddle me and be like, oh, baby, they're talking about your school. I'm going to go talk to them. My grandma was like, boy, boy, sticks and stones will break your bones with words and never hurt you. Go back to school. Quit yep. playing. Quit worrying about them kids. They ain't nobody. Yep. You, as long as you love, as long as you care about this, then don't worry about what other people think about you. They don't raise you. They're not God. They messed up too. And so I think we should teach our ch children how to handle it instead of trying to rescue them. Yeah. You know, teach them how to fish instead of getting the fish for them. Like, because these things translate. Now, when people talk about me online, I'm like, I remember my grandma said, I don't give a what y'all, y'all not feeding me. 
Yeah. Y'all not, not take care of my family. I don't care what y'all think. My grandma was, and I don't know way. what you think if I don't read the comments. You know what I'm saying? So, grandma's always had the best advice. And I th one thing with my grandma, man, if I didn't finish that plate, she'd say, "Somebody work for that boy. You're gonna finish that plate before you get off the table." I'm like a fool. Somebody's working for that. And man, and she was a little lady, but I'll tell you what, you didn't want to, you didn't want to get her upset. <laughs> and I finished the plate. <laughs> now, you know, yeah. being you know into football, when you saw these guys kneeling, what? Did you think of that? And they let it go for however long. I, I yes, so it was. It. They wouldn't. They wouldn't be getting that hundred million dollar contract without. You know that flag that's there. You know that hundred million dollar endorsement that they're getting. However much they're getting a year, they're not getting that without that. And then they're gonna kneel and then show it to the youth kids that are ten, twelve, and their idol is whoever, and they're kneeling. Now you got kids ten, twelve, thirteen doing it. Right. I mean, I was ticked off, man. And that's where my career kind of started in, in the political realm because I made a video about Colin Kaepernick and it went mega viral. I was fed up, man, you know, because two things. I love my country. I served, you know, my community with my life. And so I have a level of respect for sacrifice and what it means. And so that flag means a lot more to me than just a cloth. And, 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 and the people who fought for that flag are a variety of different people, black, white. I mean, we all fought to get to this point, died, shed blood, had to sacrifice things to get to this point. And that flag represent unity, represent progress. And to disrespect that flag is to disrespect all the men and women who died to uphold freedom in that flag. So that made me mad alone. Just did anybody disrespecting a flag. I even hate when people do stolen valor. Like I want to beat those people up running around faking like they served in the military and doing all that. Like that's so disrespectful. But the other thing is being a former football player. And, and, and it's like, you know, we get to play a sport and and we lose games. We we just go and play another game. The men and women that wear the uniform, when they lose, they don't come back. And we should be appreciative that this is just a game. Let's honor what they've done. This is a game. And, and I guess a third thing that made me mad was that it's all bull crap. They're kneeling because of police brutality. What are y'all even talking about? Black people kill black people way more than cops would ever think of. How about y'all kneel for black on black violence? How about you kneel for any inner, inner city violence and gangs? How about you take a knee for the education system where kids ain't learning nothing in the inner city? Well, how about you take a knee for that? The drive-by shootings that kids get struck in the head 24 hours a day. Now, now I'm exaggerating on that point, but I, every time I look at least once a month, there's kids getting shot with stray bullets in the inner city in, in just Chicago alone. Mm -hmm. So how about you take a knee for that? Y'all taking a knee for stuff that's not even real. Hands up, don't shoot, never happened. Michael Brown didn't have his hands up like that. And people are still fighting for that. And I forget what Colin Kaepernick was was kneeling for. I don't know if it was George Floyd or somebody. I don't, I don't know well, who which he was time? kneeling for. But well, which time? Yeah, it must not have been George Floyd. Who, who was it? I don't know. He changes all the time. I forget. I, it's, a, it's a new reason every I, time. I forget he, who he's kneeling for. Yeah, every time he uh, does They just make up a reason. Yeah, they make up a reason, so he, he's back on the spotlight for whatever. And speaking of... And, and you know what he's doing? It's wait. a money grab. Yeah. That man That man went and worked for Nike and made millions of dollars. If you're really worried yeah. about black, 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 why don't you go work for a black company? But you, but you, but they don't care. They go work for Nike owned by a white man, get paid millions of dollars. And where's Colin Kaepernick? 
That fool ain't on TV. He don't have a podcast. He not doing any activism. He not doing nothing with the NFL. Man, he took his money and, and with that woke stuff, and he living his best life. And, and, and nothing and, has changed. And never thinking about what kind of effect that had on kids that were looking up to him. Yeah, remember the Cuban dictator shirt? What yeah. in the hell? He, Fidel Castro. What? He was wearing a Fidel Castro shirt, and he had pig socks on. And, and they're just ignorant. These people are ignorant. Nuts. You, you, you know, it's fun. It's, it's, it, I don't know. I can go down a rabbit hole with this, but these people are ignorant. Man, and then they pushing this whole agenda. Our whole country was in a frenzy over Black Lives Matter, and it's all a farce. The people at Black Lives Matter don't care nothing about black people. They used it as a money grab. That Patrice Cullors, the head, one of the head people, she buying mansions in white neighborhoods, spending millions of dollars of these people donated money in order to enrich themselves. They didn't give no money to George Floyd's family. They gave no money to Michael Brown's family. They didn't gave no money to Breonna Taylor, Rashard Brooks. They were fundraising on these people, but they gave them no money. And, nobody and where did says the money anything. go? And nobody says anything about it, but they're living in $20 million houses. They're not making $20 million. I mean, I mean, things like that just, you know, my head pops off. Now, when you, what made you. And then you, what are they, they, they on to the next subject now, you know. When you were, when the football was over, what, what made you want to be a police officer? Like, what was it that sparked that you said, okay, this is the path I'm going to go and in Arizona, right? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I never even thought about being a police officer. I needed a job, you know, so because I, my son was almost born at that time. And I said, you know what? I can't keep chasing this football dream, man. It's not yielding anything. And one of my mentors had told me that. I mean, he's he was a mentor by accident. You know, it's not like he sought me out the mentor, but it was a very wealthy guy. Had a couple conversations with him, and he gave me some really good advice. But he had said, when when it's not when the needle is not moving forward, man, you got to transition. You got to do something else. You got to put an X on the calendar. If I if 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 it doesn't occur by this time, I need to do something else. And so it kind of got to that time in football and I applied for everything in the city of Tucson and the police just having to call me back. And, and then I thought about it. I said, well, I don't know nothing about policing. Um, and, 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 and I wrote this in my book, but I had got arrested when I was eight for smoking marijuana in a vacant house. So my first in, interaction with police when I was eight was a negative one. And so I really didn't know much about policing, but I said, Hey, I got to find out. Cause they got good. They got good benefits. They got good pay. And I did a ride along and that changed everything for me. I did a ride along with officer Sean Payne and, and Sean just blew my mind, man. White guy. He, he, he was cool enough to give me a ride along and the stuff that we saw on that police, uh, during that police shift, it blew my socks off, man. I could not believe it. And I remember asking Sean, um, you know, Hey, how many, uh, how, how often do you do this? Like, is this an everyday thing that you got to go lights and sirens to a suicidal person, which was one of our calls. <laughs> He go, he he like laughed at me like, bro, I do this every day. Like this ain't even a real serious thing. You know, they like, this is nothing to me. And I saw it on him, man. Like I was in shock. I was still, my heart was racing just from driving over there. Not even the kid that was committing suicide or, or cutting his wrist. And he get back in the car, like nothing happened, man. He's like, Hey man, what are you saying about your mom? And I'm like, wait a minute, man. Like, dude, I'm flustered right now. Like that was crazy. And to see that man, be able to perform and do all that and, and it just be not phased. It made me feel like he was a hero, man. And I saw Sean as a hero and I said, man, I want to be a hero like Sean, man. I, I like, like I want to be that guy. And and I joined the police department and, and it was, it was the best decision I ever made. I went to, I was in Arizona once. I was a big Kobe Bryant fan. 
and they were playing uh, Phoenix. Yeah. So I, I had flown out there, and it seemed like the most peaceful place on the planet. I got up at like 7 o'clock, walked down for coffee. There was nobody there. It was so peaceful. Now you hear about Arizona because of the border and all that. But when you were there, what are some things that we never hear about Arizona that are going on that, like I said, to me, I, I tell people, Arizona, that's the most peaceful place on the planet. What's going on there that doesn't make the headlines? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, just like at least Tucson, just like any liberal city around the country, is it's a hellhole, man. I mean, the homeless, the the drug addiction, and all those things are out of control in Tucson. Wow. I remember when I was a when I was a football player, I thought Tucson was like safe, you know what I mean? Because I was just on campus, I was isolated. Yeah. When I became a cop, I was like, oh my god, I can't even believe I would walk down that street. Because when I was a cop, I arrested six people down the street. Oh, somebody got shot and killed right here. You know, so it, the city was crazy dangerous, man. I mean, the drug epidemic, people are not talking about it. It's a border. It's a We're a border state. And Tucson is the first major city coming from the southern border. I remember when we first started, overdose, heroin overdose. And, and now it was later, it was fentanyl. But like the heroin overdose used to be like once a month, you would hear about an OD. Man. Three years on the police department, maybe 2014, 15 or so. Man, people were ODing every day, like five or six people a day ODing. It was a it was such a crazy environment that every police officer had Narcan. They issued us all Narcan because we were encountering these people who were who were ODing, and you know the Narcan will bring them back to life. You put it in their nose, you shoot yeah. it up, and they'll they'll it'll kind of reverse the effects of of heroin. And then fentanyl came out. And fentanyl was so dangerous that we couldn't even test drugs anymore. Like we, we used to be able to test drugs. We'll take it to the lab at the headquarters. I mean, at the substation and then we'll just do the little thing and flick it. And then we'll say, okay, this drug, we couldn't even, we couldn't even handle drugs without wearing a full hazmat suit with a mask on and gloves because fentanyl, they will lace fentanyl with, they will lace these drugs with fentanyl. And you get, you inhale it, you'll pass out and die. You get it on your skin. It'll so it'll seep through your skin and your bloodstream and you will die. I mean, you just need this much of it and you will die. And so that's how bad it was. And people weren't really talking about it. But, man, people were dropping dead every day from fentanyl. Never heard and, any of that in Arizona. And even the the, the mental illness, the mental, the mental illness in Arizona is bad, too. I mean, they had a good facility where you could take people to the mental illness facility and they'll check on them. But it's like the combination of drugs and mental health. I mean, suicidal calls. We took suicidal calls like every, like multiple a day. Not many people actually went through with it, but people are struggling so much that they are attempting suicide. They they have suicide ideations. They're blowing up on their family members and cutting a cutting their necks and bleeding out in the street and on case spice. And I mean, it was crazy in Tucson. But but the public don't know that because yeah, they're asleep. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Did you ever know that about Arizona? See, you, you never hear about that in Arizona. That's why I asked you because I thought it was the most peaceful place in the planet. <laughs> well, Phoenix is worse. I mean, Phoenix is even worse because what they would do is they would run these drugs through Tucson a little bit in Tucson, but they would really want to get it to Phoenix. Mm -hmm. So they would run drugs through Tucson to Phoenix, and 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 there you go, man. You, you're talking about some of the biggest crime and. We had so many MS-13 gang members in Tucson. Oh, like, I mean, they would they would literally run certain communities. It was it was pretty bad, man. I I'll tell you this story. This is this it never got reported because we didn't I didn't know what to do. Like, I was a cop working off duty, and off duty means that people can hire you kind of to work in uniform outside of your duty hours. 
So I'm working out duty at this thing, and this lady comes up to me. It's a family. They drive up in a car, and they pull up next to me in my patrol car. We're doing, like, some night shift, and I'm, like, looking on my phone the whole time. It's like a cake job. You just got to be there in case something happened. This lady pulls up on us, man. She gets out the car. She's, she's in full throttle panic. Some people are trying to kill me. Oh, my God, people are after us. And, and you know, me and my guys, like, lady, if you don't leave us alone, man, we, you know, what, what do you got? <laughs> And she's literally panicked, right? So we like, okay, just park right here. I mean, you know, we'll be fine. And, and they're saying these people are after us. These people are after us. A car full of Hispanic people, like uh, the mama, the daddy, and like five kids, and paddling this one car. And, and dude, we're in a parking lot. Nobody's in the parking lot. This is like, we were there for like Halloween night to make sure nobody vandalized. Nobody's in the parking lot. This truck drives, and you got to think all of the lanes that you can park on. We're like in one random lane and this guy drives to the parking lot. He turns down the lane where we're at. He could have turned anywhere in the parking lot. It made no sense for him to come down his lane. He could have went to the end and went at the parking lot. He comes, older guy in the truck, he drives by, he looks at us and he keeps going. And this lady, they were panicking because I think that that dude must have been the eye for the cartel. Like mm. they're right here. So we had another call because we're still not taking them serious that much. We had another part where somebody was going somewhere. We drove. They followed us in their car while we drive to the back of the building. They following us. They're, they're, they're that scared. And then they go to the McDonald's eventually because they had somebody that came and pick them up. This guy pulls up in a big lifted truck. He gets all these kids and the parents out of the car. He pulls them. He shelters them, right? He's covering them and running and puts them in this truck, and they drive off. Wow. And, bro, I was like, what just happened right now? But what I deduced from this situation was that this was probably a cartel thing, and they had owned a, a little uh, burrito stand, and they probably was running mo laundering money out of that burrito stand, and they messed over some somebody in the cartel, and they were really after them to kill them. And to the family. point where they ended up getting rescued right in front of us, and we didn't even have nobody name or nothing. And, wow. But that's how much that stuff happened in Phoenix, man. Like, it, I mean, in Arizona, like it's a real thing. Like, it's real cartel violence, yeah. it's real drug trafficking, sex trafficking, human trafficking. It that stuff is twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. And that and was then. A lot of illegal people are there too, committing a lot of crimes, and we can't catch them because we don't have no ID. They, we don't even know who they are. They have no fingerprints. We can't. We go dust. It don't matter because these people don't even exist. You know, so. I and then people get raped all the time. And, and the Hispanic people just get taken advantage of, man. They get raped. They get assaulted. And they won't call the police because they don't want to get deported. So, and then, they, wow. and then some of them can't speak English. So, it's bad, man, what, what's happening. And we could fix it, but we don't. People don't. You know, our, our politicians don't want to. That That's a that's a quadruple head sword there. You know, no, no matter how you look at it, it's a double head sword. This podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. Tear into a can of the meanest energy drink on the planet. Monster Energy is the ideal combo of the right ingredients in the right proportion to deliver a big bad buzz that only Monster can. Monster packs a powerful punch, has a smooth, easy drinking flavor. Athletes, musicians, co-eds, road warriors, metalheads, geeks, hipsters, and bikers dig it. You will too. Monster Energy is more than just the green OG. Monster has Monster Ultra, Juice Monster, Monster Hydro, Rehab Monster, Dragon Tea, 
Monster Max, Muscle Monster, and many more. Buy on Amazon, buy on Walmart, or go to MonsterEnergy.com and believe me, you'll find a place. Unleash the beast, Monster Energy. And now with the border open where the people were just walking in, it was bad then when, when you were there. Imagine now. Oh, yeah. I never nowhere understood. near the border was nowhere near where it's at now. <laughs> I never understood the fentanyl because you would think as a drug dealer, you wouldn't want to kill your customers. But I guess they, they see greed in it because it's cheaper. But I don't get it. I mean, the, here in Florida, they're putting it in Xanax. They're putting it in marijuana. They're putting it in Coke. I thought it was a downer. Why in the hell would you put it in Coke? It's just amazing to me that they would even want to put that in there. But I, I guess greed, right? it, it give you some. It, it gives you a crazy when you do a downer and an upper at the same time. It gives you. It must be even crazier because they got a thing that they do is called a speedball. I think this. I think this is a speedball, and they put a little crack in there. They put heroin in there. They put uh, fentanyl in there. I think they put meth in there. They put a bunch of. They concoct all this stuff. And you hit that speedball and you rolling, bro. You rolling. And 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 if you do it too much, you die. But you rolling if you ain't dying. But 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 what happens is they make the drugs more potent, right? So you could put it, you sprinkle a little fentanyl in some weed, and then you got the you got some fire. And you only need this much. But they're not a pharmacy, right? Say, so it's not, not like the dude is like weighing it, yeah, and like this much will kill you. So let's make sure we have a protocol and then we'll give it to this guy to weigh it and verify that this won't kill you. Right. Man, they 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 break it, they they pinching it off and dropping it in there, man. And then it, some somebody ain't paying attention, they smoke all that and they dead. Brandon, and and I'm, I'm sure that I was, think it's way worse than what people think. I'm sure that was uh third party tested, and I'm I'm sure they ordered a uh professional scale <laughs> from uh, Vanguard, right? You know, <laughs> to make just to make right, sure right. it's accurate. Nuts, nuts. And they got insurance on it. Oh, yeah. In case you die, they, they have, have insurance, insurance for you. right. And uh, the health, health inspectors came in and made sure everything was right. Uh, it's unbelievable. Now, you, you made a... Make right. sure it was pure fentanyl, too, yeah. right? Make sure it was pure. Because <laughs> now be pure. they got fentanyl that got that ain't pure. They got fentanyl that got, you know, stuff in it. And, you know, it's and then they got different phases, levels of fentanyl. Some of it's more pure than others, and they don't know. They just getting in it, cutting it, and putting it in there, and... I mean, people are dying immediately. Like, it's not even, it's not even like a, it's scary, man. People are just dying. Like, you know, I had a friend that died recently. We played football together. He died in a hotel room. So I know what happened, Sorry right? Sorry to hear that. And, you know, of course, people are like, oh, that's so sad he died. No, he, I, I guarantee you he got some drugs and it probably was fentanyl and he was young 30-year-old guy and it, it'll smoke you, bro. That that one hit, you're you're gone. And so many young people have died from that fentanyl stuff that, you know, I don't know why it's not bigger of a, a bigger deal in our country from our government to, like, keep that stuff out of our country and monitor it. But they don't care, man. They worry about white supremacy or something they made up. Yeah, it's uh, something yesterday. that means nothing. I, I had asked a recovering heroin addict. I said, why do these people want it? And he said to me, they want the fentanyl because it's a better high. And I said, it's Russian roulette. And he said, they want it. Yeah. They request it. And I said, wow. All right, then. That's I guess that's the answer. Crazy. Now, well, I mean, I, just like just like other drugs, like I, I never understood why people use drugs. Right. I mean, I, I see the crackheads running around the community. I'm like, why would anybody try it for the first time? You're going to turn into a zombie. And, and you always think you're like, dang, is it that good? I mean, these people back there just 
hitting that crack and they just, oh, I need it. I got to have it. Do snorting coke and LSD, you know, Kate Spice, meth. I mean, these people doing meth, you know how they concoct that stuff like a like a little mini laboratory, all them chemicals and, and they, they, they smoking that meth and you're like, bro, like how did, how did you start? Because all these people are zombies, man. They itching and they got sores on their face and they used to be beautiful supermodels. And now, now they, they're hideous, man. Like what would make the person hit it for the first time? That's my question. Like, I would like be like, I'm surely going to die. If I smoke meth, I mean, I'm going to get hooked and I'm going to die. Maybe the Wolf of Wall Street. Maybe that movie. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. You yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to have uh, a bunch of. Uh, it was I had beer and then a vape store, and I and this is when it first came out. It was called Kratom. Kratom, and I had this blue packet. No, it was yellow packet and green packet, and I I had to stop selling it. And man, there would be a line out the door at nine a.m. for this stuff. It looked like a meth methadone clinic, and I was trying to be higher end, you know, higher end beer and everything. And it was cheap, so I had it. I had it with like the vapor stuff when that was popular. And literally, Brandon, there was a line, a line waiting for me to unlock the door over this kratom because they were going through withdrawal just like heroin. And you can still buy it today. You can still buy it. I can't believe it. Whenever I see it, I cringe because it made my place look like like a, you know, gee, I can't even. Man, people were like, Tom, what are you doing over there? Nothing. It's just whatever this shit is. I don't know. You know. But like things like that, we should be focusing on. I think rather than, you know, are are you a woman or a male? Well, you know. Now you made a, a viral video when you went to the Trump rally, right? Yeah, that was that was the first video I ever made. Really? Oh, that was and the very first I, one. I was still. Oh, okay, go ahead. First, first video. I wasn't into making. I wasn't into making videos like. I, I, I wasn't even a social media person. You know, I just so happened to, I would just type little scriptures on my page or whatever, but I didn't feel like typing all the stuff that I was wanting to say. So I said, let me just put it in a video and post it out there so people can kind of get what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say in my experience. Cause it was crazy what my experiences were. And that thing went viral, man. And it was crazy. And then I started thinking like, well, maybe people want to hear my opinions. You know, I don't give them cause I don't feel like writing them. Um, but you know, that was kind of my first, video that I made and and it went viral. And, and that led to every more that you're doing today. What attracted you to, to Donald Trump? What did you like about him? What what was the attraction? Other than, you know, everybody was at, whether you liked the man or not, everybody in the planet was home at six o'clock if he was going to rally. Right, right. Everybody was home. You know, like, I, I'll say this. It wasn't really Trump. I mean, like, like so... When Trump got, well, first of all, I was, I voted for Barack Obama. I thought I was a liberal. I thought I was a Democrat. Then I woke up to it and said, man, the Democrat party ain't doing nothing for black people. And, and I don't even know why I support them. I, I they, they, they share none of my values. I, I think I've been, I, I've been tricked this whole time. So I started looking at Republicans and I'm like, oh, Republicans are exactly, but I believe a lot of stuff that I believe is in the Republican side. Donald Trump ran and I didn't take him seriously, but everybody knew he was a billionaire Donald Trump and he was just cool. You know, WWE is a celebrity. And so I never thought about him being a legit candidate. Um, and then Ben Carson, whom I wanted to be the president, he dropped out and endorsed Trump. And I said, you know, Ben Carson is a brilliant man. There's no way that there, there's got to be something to this for him to endorse, put his name behind 
Donald Trump, yeah. who's a celebrity, he's not even really going to win. He's the only guy on the then planet I started that listening separated to what two brains. He's the only guy on the planet that went in and there was uh, two kids and he separated them and their brains were together. I mean, that guy's, a, you talk about yeah. Elon, no, he's a rocket science, that guy. So if he's, if he's backing somebody, he's not back, you know, he's thinking that through. Well, he has a great reputation, right? I mean, he's the only, like you say, he's yeah. the first person to separate conjoined twins at the head in the world, you know? So his reputation precedes this presidential stuff. So when he endorsed Trump, I said, man, maybe, 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 let me rule out Trump, right? Let me go to this rally in Tucson and I'm just going to see if this guy's a racist like they say he is or whatever it can be because I need to figure out is he a real candidate or I need to vote for Ted Cruz or somebody, you know? I, I, knew, none, I knew none of these guys because I was never a Republican. Um, but then I went to his rally and I was like, oh, wait a minute, everybody in here cool? This feel like America, man. Everybody's patriotic and everything. And then he gets on the stage and he's funny and he's he's like talking about the border and lowering taxes. And it was a great time. And I said, Whoa, wait a minute. I agree with everything. He And he wasn't straight, afraid to say, man, they full of crap. They full of crap. They stealing your money. The government is wrong. And, and I'm just like, dude, this dude is keeping it 100. 100. And after the thing, I said, you know what? Let me just tell people what I heard because everybody thought he was a racist, right? I mean, it was kind of like, he's a racist. He hate Mexicans. I mean, I don't even know if it was that time where he hated Mexicans, but he, they were throwing black people out of his events, quote unquote. And so after I went, I was like, oh man, this is like, this they lied to us, man. Like these people are staging protests at the event. And since he bought events, he owned, he, he can kick people out of it because he paid for it with his own money. Uh, it's a private event technically. And so I'm like, these people are staging. That's why they're getting kicked out. It's not like the white people are heckling blacks and then they kicking them out because the black people are standing up for themselves. Man, these people are staging fake outrage. I saw it with my own eyes. So anyway, I made the video that went viral. And then from that point on, I, I've been a Trump supporter ever since. Yeah. And, you, you know, I, I know one of the things you do is try to talk to Africans, African-Americans and kind of get them out of that web of the democrat and this is my opinion i like to hear yours i think a lot of it with that is here's a check here's a check here's money here's welfare but if you look at what trump did and whether you're for trump or not you can't deny the facts and i have seven so this is just me seven friends from philly when they were 17 18 they were selling crack you know on the side of the road they were playing football but they were doing it they had, they had a baby when they were set you know they had kids but they were good guys and they got 15, 20 years for that. You know, that whatever the ratio, the 100 to 1, that crazy number. Donald Trump let them out. They called me. He let them out. They were in federal prison, and he got them out. And they were telling me how uh, Trump had let out just in one federal facility 57 people. You know, and that's, that's a, a man who's going and looking at what the charge was, taking that time as president while everybody's trying to kill him, and saying, look, no, you know, let's help this out this and he didn't just let them out. He let them out, and he made them, and part of the deal was to go to a uh, some type of a rehabilitation center. So you couldn't just get out. You went to a halfway house. You had to get a job, job program, and so on and so forth. And if you could elaborate on what you're doing uh, with the African-American community to get them out of that brainwash that they're in, they don't have to be for Trump. Just it's pretty clear what the Democrats are doing, in my opinion. A, a thousand percent, you know, um, Trump got my great uncle out. One of my great uncles, he was, he did, he got sentenced to 40 years federal time for, for doing drugs. I mean, for selling drugs. I mean, he was a big term drug dealer. 
I remember we were little, we would go over his house and he used to have these things on a, on a oven that was this big and they looked like cookies. <laughs> and when I was young, I thought they were big cookies, right? And he's like, don't eat them, they ain't cookies. And I'm like, what was that? Why is he making any big old? I'm grown now, He was, that was yeah. keys of cocaine. He was cutting up and, you know, Frank he was Lucas. a big time drug dealer. He got 40 years, man, yeah. federal. Like they, they, he was he was gonna die in there, man. Yeah. Cause he was, he was 50 or something when he went in. So he was gonna die in there. And then Donald Trump came and he out now because Donald Trump did the, the um, I forget what it's called now, the First Step Act, First which Step is the Act, Residency yeah. Reduction Program. And so the First Step Act, if you if you are qualified, you can't murder people, but if it was like drugs or something, you can join the residency reduction program and then you go through that program. And then if you finish the program, they'll let you out on good behavior and they'll hit, help you with programs after you get out. But hey, Brandon, so, you know, Brandon I was he's a racist though. He's a racist though, remember? He's a racist though, remember? Yeah, yeah, he's a racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, biggest racist in the world, helping <laughs> yeah. black people the most. But what, what, I, what I do is try to get to the mind mm -hmm. because you can give people money all you want. You can you can do all that stuff, man. But if they mind ain't in the same place, they're still in bondage right here. Then it's it's it's, it's almost pointless, right? If a person has still got bad money management in the mind, they they view money a certain way. You give them as much money, they're gonna blow it all. You got to change it here first, and then the the physical actions will proceed. But most of what I do is I just I tell the truth about these situations, expose the lies, and give uh, uh, articulable facts on how to change things. And then, you know, Candace Owens and I started the nonprofit organization called Blexit, which was a play on words like the black exit, like the British exit, the Bre Brexit. We did Blexit like the black exit. And it was essentially exiting the ideology because you don't have to be a Republican. Some of these Republicans are trash too. You know, I, I don't agree with everything Donald Trump does. So I, I don't tell a person you have to be a Trump supporter. You have to be a Republican. You have to be a conservative. You just have to have common sense. Do what's best in the best interest of your community. Be informed, but do it in the best interest of your, interest of your community. But Blexit was our outreach. We are in all 50 states. We have chapters there. We work in the inner cities um, to try to help communities like community outreach, back to school drives. We do little events and stuff in, in many of these cities. And so we just try to do that to give back. So not only promote the rhetoric, but try to go in the community and teach people that you need to be a free thinker. You need to think for yourself. You need to have an account of why you're voting this way or, or the other way. And and how was the acceptance when you started doing that? Were, were you accepted when you were going into these communities and, you know, not like you said, not trying to push them to Trump, just maybe give them a different way to look at things. Was there a lot of backlash? Yeah. A lot of backlash and a lot of black people don't want to get involved. I, I'm just I'm just keeping it 100. You know, like we would do events, man, and it wouldn't even be that many black people that would show up. Some events we would have a lot of black people, but most of them was mostly white people. And it's unfortunate because white people care more about the black people than black people do. Not not all the time, but in these particular situations, you go in and we would do our events in the inner city, and we would have panels with all these great speakers and like. White people beat it, beat. They own. They want to be there. They want to be a part of it. What can we do to change? What can we help? And, and a lot of black people didn't want to show up, and and, and and they don't want. They don't want to hear it. You know, they don't want to be a part of anything that challenges the status quo. They don't want to hear that you're not a victim. And I'm not saying all. I'm saying that in in many of these cases, they don't want to hear that, man. They don't want to hear from Brandon Tatum. Brandon Tatum is a coon. Brandon Tatum is working for the white man. Brandon Tatum married to a white woman. You know, it's the ignorance is 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 very disheartening. And I wish I could tell you that, yeah, man, we 
it was great. Every t we we had millions of black people. It's like, nah, man. Some communities were better than others. Our community in Philly was good. We had a lot of a good response in Philly. We had because we would get people from the hood, and then they would join Blexit, and then they would kind of help out with outreach in their own neighborhood. We had a young lady out in Philly. She was so awesome. She was like auntie. She was gangster, you know. Oh, so yeah. she could talk to people, and she was real, and like everybody loved her. And uh, she ended up passing away. Um, I don't know if it was for COVID or something else. You know, obviously we couldn't get her medical records, but she passed away. She was a very, Daphne was just amazing, but she was killing it in Philly, South Carolina. We killing in South Carolina. There's so there's places where we have so much community outreach. We work with the, with the churches and stuff and we do a lot, but there's a lot of places in Arizona and these other places where it's not a lot of black people, man, black people ain't showing up. But we, we just, all we can do is do our best, man. All we can do is get the word out there. I think we make a tremendous impact on social media too, because every day I get black people saying, hey man, I love what you do, man. I used to hate you and now I like you, you know? Everywhere I go, black people all over the country come up to me, hey, B. Tatum, oh man, I love it, I watch your stuff. There's a kid at the gym just just recently, and I looked at his social media. He looked like he, he looked like he an emo or gothic or some <laughs> black kid with, you know, he got his fingernails painted. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even never think he was conservative, but he saw me at the gym. He like, Brandon Tatum, man, I love you, man. Everything you do, you, know, you, you give me hope, and and so I get a lot of that from black people. But I w I honestly wish the numbers were like a, a wave, like millions of black people. I mean, tens of millions are waking up and. You know, just, but it, it just, unfortunately, but yeah, that's but, not really reality. Well, just like football, persistence. You know, persistence, persistence, yeah. persistence. And congratulations on that. And in Philly, I can't tell you how many aunties I had. And those aunties, you do not want to mess with them. They are straight gangsters. Yeah. And if you don't eat their, their whatever <laughs> they cook, boy, man, they tell everybody and that's it. And then all the, and if you don't go to church, <laughs> holy sh crap. You know, those aunties are at church, 7 a.m., how's my hair? They're, they're the best. They're the best. And how did you uh, team up with Candace Owens? Yeah, it's funny because when me and her started, I mean, this before there was a such thing as like a black conservative, you know, like a popular <laughs> black conservative. So we we had just, you know, kind of had a, a similar experiences. Just kind of leaving the Democrat Party being like, man, these people ain't, do not have our best interests at heart. And so I made those videos that went viral. And at the same time, Candace had started a YouTube channel called Red Pill Black. So she was kind of viral. And me and her were kind of like the first vocal black conservatives that challenged the narrative and, and had gained popularity on social media. So one day she like hit me up and, and Twitter and was like, hey, I love your content. We should team up and do some content together. Um, let's meet up the next time I'm in your city. And I'm like, oh, for sure. And I, I'll never forget the first time I met Candace. So she gets to Mesa, Arizona, because I'm in Phoenix. She gets to Mesa. She got family out here. She said, hey, meet me at the airport at the restaurant. So I'm thinking it's going to be just me and Candace. We're going to chop it up. And if we vibe, we're going to do some some conservative content together. I get to the restaurant, man, her whole family there. <laughs> it's like eight people. <laughs> and like, and it was funny because I'm like, dang, I thought it was just me and her. I don't, I, you know, I don't even know her. And I'm at her, her family at dinner. And it was a it was a blast, man. We were we were going because we because this side of the table conservative, me, Candace, and like one of her cousins was conservative, and then everybody else was was liberal, and we were just going at it, man. We shut the restaurant down. We were going so much. They they had to close. They had to kick us out because it had closed, and we were still going. And then ever since then, me and Candace been like really good friends, 
And then in 2018, I think that was like 2017 or so. 2018, we started Blexing and and we just been, you know, she like my sister. So, all right, Brian. So with all the subscribers that you got so fast, three million, five hundred million views, what do you think the difference between you and others, maybe trying to do the same thing that you were able to do it so quickly? I think it's consistency and authenticity, right? Yeah. I I just I, I make like. <laughs> Dang, I don't know how to something to throw. I make like I make like three videos a day every day for the last couple of years, you know. So it's that consistency where people kind of see me out there, they see me on social media. I'm always talking about all the topics, and, and, and YouTube favors the consistency, right? So they they promote your stuff more, and then it's authenticity, man. I just keep it real. I say what I feel like saying, and sometimes people don't like that. Even people that follow me. They'll give me thumbs down on some of those videos, but I'm just keeping it real. And therefore people know they're gonna get the real for me. They know what I'm saying is what I really feel. And it's not what I think they wanna hear. And, and then I have a little bit of charisma too. You know, I, I make it funny. Yeah. I tell jokes, I clown people on there, you know, and I think that that people really enjoy that. And, and Cause my product isn't like super great. You know, it's not like we, you know, we have a kind of good camera set up now, but like, I used to start with just being in my car, you know, and we don't have a lot of graphics and I don't have a big team. It's just me and another one other person. And people just love that down to earth feel where they feel like that. And then I'm not like super, like, I wouldn't say super sound super educated, right? Where somebody's like, they can't even track me because I'm using all these big words and philosophical thoughts and all that. I'm not even doing it. I'm like the everyday person. I don't speak proper English all the time. You know, I say words that don't exist. You know, <laughs> on my too. radio show, <laughs> I tell people, man, I can't read good. Oh, so I can't, you know, I laugh at myself. I read some name and I'm like, I can't even read. You know, I have a, uh, I said, I have a public school education, so don't blame me. You know, so I just keep it real. I'm just myself. And a lot of people feel like, Wow, you know, like I can see myself in that guy. That guy's just down to earth. I, I tell uh, my engineer Rob, I, I think I got dyslexia ever since I started this. I have a doctorate with two master's degrees, and his name will be Doctor <laughs> Milfred. And I and I'm every single time I mess it up, I'm like Doctor Mill said, there's so, something crazy. You know, you know, it's just, <laughs> but it's just the way it goes. You know, and you are very all. You know, you're very just real. You just say how it is, and 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 that's great. I mean, you're fun to talk to. We looked up something. Do you know that roughly 89% of black voters voted for Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election? Now, do you think that that's true or do you think that's, uh, you know, somebody with the numbers that hacked into something and changed those numbers? No, I think it's true, man. It's, it's, it, hey, it's real out here when it comes to black support for Democrats and the brainwashing. That bad. I mean, I know people in my family that are conservative, but they vote Democrat for Democrats. I mean, they're conservative, man. I, we'll talk and we say, I don't believe in that, man. I don't want I don't believe in that, man. I don't fool with people like that. Do you know that's what you're voting for? They don't even know. Oh, no, no Republicans, man, they racist. You know, it's like, I've like, heard dude, that you, too. It, it's, it's bad. It's bad though. It's bad. It's worse than people think like black in black America, we have been brainwashed, like legitimately brainwashed over time to where a lot of black people are stuck, man. They can't see it another way. They they believe in this racism stuff. They believe that the country's against them. They believe that because they black, they gonna get killed by a police officer just for just driving down the street. 
I would argue that like 60% of black people actually believe that. No, they do. And that's troubling. They do. They do. Friends of mine do. They do. They believe that. They think when they get right. pulled over, they're, they're getting treated different. And I, so look, I'm white and I have more traffic violations than you do times 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I got put, I got put over the other day, man. And it's like, I was wrong. You know, I was speeding. And I was going to Vegas to the SHOT Show. And I'm going like, I got a big old truck with big wheels on it. So the speedometer is off. So it's like seven miles per hour off or more. And so, but still, I'm going like 85 on my speedometer, but it's like 90 something. Man, I see that cop. I pass him. He started to pull out, bro. I pulled over. I ain't even, he ain't even got to chase me. I already knew what was happening. I just pulled right over. He ain't had to drive no further than where he was at. And uh, I took that ticket with a smile. You know, he didn't he didn't uh, arrest me or nothing. He could have because I was criminally speeding. But you know, we chopped it up, and I'm like, he kind of felt bad because he knew he knew he ended up figuring out I was a former cop. And I'm like, bro, I I deserve this ticket. I'm not gonna argue with you about this ticket. And thank you for your service, man. You be safe out there. I ain't arguing with this cop. He doing his job, and I didn't get killed. And I had my firearm on me. I didn't get killed. Nothing happened to me. The guy gave me a lesser ticket. He still gave me the ticket. You know, it's it's people are just so disingenuous, man. I, and, and before that, I hadn't gotten pulled over for 13 years before that, because the last time I got pulled over was in 2010. And, you know, I got a, a bunch of tickets when I did that, but never got killed, never got beat up. The cop really never harassed me. I was wrong. I was driving on, I was driving, I had rims on my car, so I was driving around the speed bump because I didn't want to dent my rims. But it still was against the law. And right. I and, a, and that guy pulled me over and I said, yep, I ain't, I ain't arguing, bro. I got my hands on the steering wheel. You need my stuff, my stuff is legit. Take that ticket. I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing. I won't do it again. It's really that simple, to be honest. And see, ju just from talking to you, I, I think you have that attitude because you had a father in the home and the way you were raised. And if you look, and we looked at before, six out of ten African-Americans don't have a father at home. If you had the key, what, what would you do to start to correct that problem? Because I agree with you, what we said earlier, until that's corrected, you can't, I don't see how you can correct the rest. What would you do if you had the, the, the wand to start something and, and get it going? That, that, would be the, that would be the first thing that I would do is, is, make sure that I implement God and fathers. And, and and I think everything else will matriculate down to solving itself. People don't believe in God no more. That's why they don't have no morals. That's why men are willing to smash women and, and, and leave them and, with kids and not even take care of their kids because they have no moral standard. Nobody, they don't care. Who's telling them that, that having sex with as many women and having as many baby mamas as you want is, is a problem. Nobody's telling them it's a problem. So I would I would do that have the moral standard back in the black community because we used to feel that way. That's why it was only about 20% or, or yeah, 20% of black families were kids were born out of wedlock. It was down to 20, 25%. Now it's 70, 80%. Whoa. That, that's a complete shift. And so back in the day, we, we retained God in our consciousness. We knew that education was a was key component. We knew that family structure would give us the advantage that we needed to be successful in this country. So I would fix those two things because I, I wouldn't act up with a cop because my father would whoop me. Exactly. You know, um, I didn't worry about the police. I was worried about what, what Mr. Tatum 
would do if he found out that I was cussing at a police and being disrespectful. And so that's kind of where even my teachers, I was I'm not going to disrespect my teachers because my father would do something about it. And I didn't want no whoopings. So, and I got a whooping before, you know what I mean? Cause I was disrespectful in class, got an in on my report card, which means needs improvement. They wouldn't even a U. A U is unacceptable. N is need improvement. And my dad told me up, man. And I ain't, I never again, I got all ease. Um, so what which do you was do excellent to get that back, back in the day when they, what do you do to get that back? Like, what do you do to get that back to, you know, this episode is brought to you by Fiji more than just water. This is not just rock. It's ancient volcanic rock that filters tropical rain, giving it double the electrolytes and its signature soft, smooth taste. It's not just water. It's Fiji water. Because now it seems everybody runs from the ghetto. Maybe we run to the ghetto and build something in the ghetto, you know, a church, uh, you know, extracurricular activities. Is that what you would do? Like, what are some things that could be done? Like, I understand the thought, but like, what could be done? Because it's so hard with this woke thing and you can't do this. You can't do that. It's hard. It's, it's near, it's nearly, it's nearly an impossible situation, you know, because the influence of leaders, artists, actors, they have so much more influence over, over the day-to-day person. You know, even when I was young, my dad was a great man, but no, I thought Tupac was- Me too. I, was, I thought Tupac was cooler than my dad was. You know, I thought these gangsters were cool. Dudes in the hood that used to sell dope. Yeah, he got the, he got the Pac, huh? <laughs> it's a plastic cell. The dudes though. that used I to sell them. dope. Yeah. What do you say? What you I, say? I collect the plastic cells. They make them by hand, and I was a big Tupac fan when I was a kid. I, I, dude, a Tupac was—I know all Tupac songs. Yep. Uh, I, I used to have a big poster of Tupac in my room, so I was a Tupac fan as well. And I, but the thing is, is that you know, let me do two things. Ideally, this is what I think could be successful, and realistically, this is what I think has to be done. Ideally, people like LeBron James all these NBA players that got so much influence, all these rappers, actors, uh, uh, politicians should be saying, we need family structure, a husband and a wife, go get married. LeBron James should be talented from the rooftop. All of the people that follow me that want to be like me is because I'm married. married. It's because I have a great wife. So all you young boys, get you a wife. If LeBron said that, I would, I swear, God is my witness. In 10 years, we would see the marriage rate probably go up by 40%. If LeBron James said it, just him. If he starts but playing. But our leaders in the... In, if he starts... What you if, say? If he starts stop sitting out every other game where the Lakers are the worst in the league somehow, he's got to stop uh, <laughs> uh, sitting out because he's got a sore thumb. But if he would start playing again... Right, right. And I agree dude, with you 100%. That dude is the... Yeah. That dude is the biggest pansy on the basketball court that I've seen. <sighs> I, although he's one of the greatest athletes, probably one of the greatest basketball players ever. Uh, he's not the greatest. I think he's one of them. However, if that man got out and said yeah. that, if 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 more popular black leaders will come out and emphasize God and emphasize relationships and get married and stop sleeping with these women, then I think young people will grow up and be like, oh, that's cool to have a, ma- a wife. Instead of being like, it's cool to have a baby mama. It's yeah. cool to be but they get all these women and be able to have sex with any woman you want. That's cool. That make you a man. That make you swagged out. Everybody got respect point. for you. Instead of the gangsters coming out of prison and telling you and rapping about how 
they laid down and did some time in prison. Now they out, and everybody loved the man who went to prison. You get so much street credit. I, I used to say this. You get more credit in the hood from going to prison than going to college. Nobody throw a party when you come home from college, man. When you go to prison, they got a coming home party. Everybody excited. You just you you the you the man of the hour. Yeah. But if if the people that go to prison keep it real and say, "Bruh, you don't want to go to prison." You know how many dudes getting raped in prison? Mm-hmm. Getting shanked in prison? You know sleepless nights sleeping on a sleeping in that little bitty room, your celly punking you or maybe you have to throw down with that dude you have to join gangs you don't want to go to prison young man this is this ain't this ain't cool like they tell you man if they would tell young people that it'll it'll be a different world now that's a hype that's a i wish that they would do this i'm with you on now, that tangibly LeBron thing, if lebron did that as much as i don't like him he is one of the greatest as much as i don't like him if he would get up because he's one of the only players that you never really hear anything bad about him cheating he stayed with that same wife from high school has what three, four kids? If he would get up, I, I, I would put money on the table. You're right, that the rate would totally change. But for whatever reason, he won't. Because, man, when I was young, and I knew this because I was young, I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Me See, too. Michael Jordan was a really good example, but you know, I don't think he pushed mar- pushed marriage and stuff. Where I never really heard that from him, but I wanted to be just like Mike. That's what changed my life was that I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. I wanted to play basketball. And then when I got arrested when I was eight for smoking marijuana in a vacant house, my dad didn't even whoop us. It was me and my brother was there. He didn't even whoop us. He turned around in his van when we were getting home. He said, if you don't act with integrity and do the right thing when nobody's watching, you would never play in the NBA. Like that hurt me way more than getting a whooping, man. Because mm-hmm. I, I just, I fantasize about playing basketball. I used to play basketball every day in my backyard and dribble the ball and that meant a lot to me so if if michael jordan said listen man you can be whatever you want to be if you apply yourself i th- that would have been gospel to me mm-hmm. that would be more better than what jesus said me too. I, I, I listen to i listen to him and like michael jordan them don't play no more lebron james is currently playing and and and, and all of these guys man all these guys and, and i don't even want to get to um oh oh boy that turned his boy into a girl I forget his name. I did a video about him the other day. That basketball player. Dwayne Wade. I forget his name. Dwayne Wade. He, he, Dwayne Wade. D-Wade. Yeah, he I did that? Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, time you know, out. Wait, it, wait, wait. Time out. I, I like Dwayne Wade a lot. He turned, he did what? Oh, no. Wait a minute. You you didn't know you I, didn't know that Gabriel Union D-Wade Youngest son is now Zaya. Used to be Zion or something. Now no. Zaya. He's a transgender. They just no. won an award at the at the uh, NAACP Image Award for like wow. the most courageous family, and they didn't turn their little boy into a girl, and they call him Zion. What uh, D Wade went and changed his name legally, and and now now he a girl. Man, I thought when and, he, and they when dress he him up out. and they. Remember when he first came out, huh? his first two years in the NBA, I thought that guy was, he looked like he had a shot at being close to Jordan. Remember how good he was when he first came out, man? Yeah. What? It, what? I'm sorry. We had a, we had in the guy who does all his video. He does all his filming for Dwayne Wade. We had him in. And I cannot believe that man did that. Wow. Great example. That's a great oh, example. Oh, it's bad. It, wow. it makes me so mad when I hear him talk. He was on, he was on like LeBron James show, sitting on a in a on a barbershop, and he said he's the worst example of a father that I've ever seen. They just had he him go, do the All Star game. We shouldn't, 
They had them do the All-Star game. Huh? They had them introduce people at the All-Star game. The NBA All-Star game. Oh, you got it. Yeah. Kid he, he, me. He, he, has said, he has said about being a father, like, you just need to let your kids show you how to parent and, like, let them lead. Huh? And then you follow as a parent. Like, what? What? Bro, you what? a dad. You a father. See, he, that woman, Gabrielle, in my opinion, I don't know them, but Gabrielle Union wore the pants in that family, man. And I think she didn't make him real weak. Because I feel like when when D Wade wasn't with Gabrielle Union, he was he was a man, he was flourishing. Now he with that woman, I think she crazy, man. Like you should have heard their speech. I made a video about it. You can look on my YouTube channel. She she out there talking about transsexuality, trans uh no no intersexuality, and that and that the biggest problem is that tra black trans people up. And I'm like, oh what are you even talking God. about? And D Wade mentioned how he was proud of Zion because we are now raising her the way she's always supposed to be. And I'm like, bro, that's your little boy. And that boy, it, I tell people all the time, yeah. I don't know why D-Wade and them doing this boy like this. Because that boy is gonna grow up and be 6'8", and his shoulder's <laughs> gonna be this big, he gonna have a 22, a 22 shoe, and ain't no man gonna wanna be with him, oh right? Cause they, they gonna, they, they ain't no girl that big, you know? So Dwayne they Wade. said, he cute now, right? They put his little dress on and he little, so he kind of, they can dress him up. But when he's 6'8", bro, you can't put a dress on at 6'8", with your, with your feet hanging feet hanging off the heels like this. You you ain't going to be able to be a feminine woman like that. And he don't know that that's his future because his mama and them tricking him. But then when he get up there and he can't have kids and men are rejecting him at the club, he going to feel like, why my parents let me do this? You know, maybe oh. I shouldn't have been a girl at 10 or whatever, he, however old that boy is. Wow. That, that's, wow. That blew my mind there. That, that one got me. What in the hell are they thinking with this crazy shit? Did you work with or spoke with Charles Barkley at all? No, I like, I, I like, I like like 90% of what Charles say. He live in Phoenix. I, uh, I saw him at the airport one time, but you know, I wasn't able to, to, to stay in contact with him. So I would love to like talk to him one day, but you know, I don't have his contact. He got all that he said. And not somebody being fake. No, you know? he gave all that he said. The dunk contest sucks. It sucks. It's trash until the Sixers guy did a 560. And what? What? Did you see him at the dunk contest? Yeah. Whoa. Whoa, boy. <laughs> and uh, tell us about your radio show. Yeah, I have a syndicated radio show called The Officer Tatum Show from... Well, I, I don't know what, I forget what time it is, Eastern, but it's from three to six Pacific Standard. So I don't know what that is, Eastern, but um, yeah, it's every day, five days a week, um, people can call in on the show. It's broadcasted on the radio, you know, in, in the conservative AM stations around the country. And then also on Salem News Channel is where it's, it's like, we kind of have like a news set. So I do it on the radio, but also we broadcast it live on a, like on a television as a, like a news set. So um, so Salem News Channel is where people can find that. But it, it's incredible, you know, talking on the radio really has helped me become a better speaker and help me, you know, put my thoughts together because doing three hours every single day, you know, is is a lot, you know. So <laughs> it but it but it's a blessing and, and I'm able to reach a lot of people that may not watch social media stuff. Congratulations and, and you're fun to talk to and, and you can nail a lot of good subjects and make a lot of good points and still have fun, you know, not the like this this type what, what would you say to you know some of these individuals that 
maybe not even by choice they're stuck in that woke and, and just aren't woken up yet and you know we need them to wake up quick uh to get out of this before there is an armageddon in my opinion i say man all your problems are in the mirror everything that happened in your life is in the mirror look in the mirror first look at that man in the mirror have an honest conversation with yourself Am I not succeeding because of somebody else or because I know I can do better? I know I can show up on time. I know I can work harder. I know I can put in the work. I can read more books. I can be more educated. I can network more. You got to look in the mirror first. And then once you exhausted everything that you know to do as an individual and you have maxed out, I mean, you're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and things are still not happening and you believing in God, then maybe you can look and say, maybe that's a system that may be broken over here. But the, you got to look in the mirror, man. And if everybody did that individually and, and stop, want to be an activist over here and your family falling apart, you want to be an activist and, and you, you're not even disciplined enough to go to work on time every day, you know? So I think that what I would tell anybody is that, man, like the sum of all of your problems can be handled by looking at that man in the mirror. And when you get him right, physically, mentally, spiritually, you will, you will run the world. And, and the reason why you'll run the world, because not many people are willing to look that man in the mirror and fix yeah. him or fix her. Yeah. And so the select people that's willing to do that, the, the world is yours. You are dominating in, in this society. And, and you're great. Again, give all the ways everybody can watch you and get a hold of you. Yeah, so if, if you just put the officer Tatum on social on any uh, search engine, you'll find all of my stuff. My biggest platform is my YouTube channel. I upload three videos a day. Again, the radio show. If you put in theofficetatum.com on my website, you can get everything. Radio show, podcast, our e-commerce store, which we have a huge e-commerce store. Where we sell a lot of incredible merch with, with incredible messages. Like the one I have on now is, is anti-grooming social club, which is, <laughs> we, you know, we're fighting against the, we're fighting against the grooming, you know, that they're doing to these children in this, in this oh, crazy over-sexualized LGBTQ AARP movement that they got. So we do merch like that so people can have a good message. Hey, what do you say? I, I said uh, I added I added some more letters Z G K B A C D E, but man, you're yeah. you are great, and uh, you know, hopefully I can get to fly in here and sit down your face to face because I'm a fan. I'm all for you, and we're gonna have all this in the description and popping up while we're talking. This was great. I really appreciate your time. Oh man, I appreciate you having me on, man, and I, I cannot wait to to come out there and and sit down and have a face to face yeah. conversation. I think it'll be it'll be just as good. Oh, we'll have a blast, man. We'll have a blast. I'm gonna hold you to that. Oh, hey, we we almost did it, man. We almost came down there, but we couldn't coordinate the travel with that gala event. It just got convoluted, and it was way too expensive. So. We couldn't really, we couldn't muster it this time. But man, I, I'm telling you, my wife loves it out there. Yeah. She, that's what she want to live, to be honest. And I'm like, nah, we got to stay in Arizona. But we will make it a point to come out there, and when we do, it's gonna, we're gonna have a good time. How about I, I, I fly up, and I'll even tell you where not to take her. <laughs> Believe me, I know. Believe good, me, you. I know. Thank I you. will give you. I, I'll tell you. I'll give you the long way around certain things. <laughs> <laughs> Good. We need it, man. We need it. All right, man. You're the man. Hey, I'm all for you. Big fan. Keep going. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you.